Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. podcast hello 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 it's not your podcast hello hello this is a lexi show hello hello welcome to my podcast oh my god let's pretend that never happened ever okay you guys hello welcome to love alexi my name is alexi wasser i am your host uh as i just sang moments ago this is my podcast and uh you know my guest today it's uh I have a pretty highbrow guest today. You may not have heard of her because, you know, I don't know what my, my demographic is, who you guys are, but she's not my normal demographic. And that's why I'm so excited to have somebody out of my wheelhouse on this podcast. Uh, I mean, that's not fair. I talk to a lot of different types of people, uh, but you know, I've never really had a professor, a professor of neuroscience and psychology on the show. Listen, my guest today is Wendy Suzuki. She is a professor of neuroscience and psychology at the New York University Center for Neural Science. She's the author of not one, but two books. She's written Healthy Brain, Happy Life, a personal program to activate your brain and do everything better, as well as the author of Good Anxiety, Bad Anxiety, Harness Your Fears and Make Them Work for You. Um, We go on a tangential journey. We talk about a million different things. Of course we do. We talk about dopamine, cooking, serotonin, uh, Wendy's numerous TED Talks. She's done more than one TED Talk. It's like, uh, I'm just in awe. I'm in awe of Wendy. Uh, We talk about me getting over my fear of traveling to Bali because I apparently am riddled with fear to do it, uh, but I really want to. We talk about living optimally, endorphins, happiness, NYU, memory, the brain, PTSD therapy, EMDR, J. Crew, Equinox, exercise, death and grieving, anxiety, Prince Harry, Oprah, mental health, antidepressants versus exercise. And, uh, and of course, we touch on love and relationships because uh, what would the point be if we didn't on this show? Wendy tells us a lovely before sunset, before sunrise type love story. And uh, I think you're going to like it. For more Wendy Suzuki, you can follow her on Instagram and Facebook at Wendy Suzuki and visit her website, wendysuzuki.com. You guys, so many things have happened this week. This is crazy. Okay, so my boyfriend's out of town. I mean, seriously, I needed a break. Just kidding. I, but no, he's out of town. He's living his life. I'm so happy for him. He's having a great time doing his thing. He'll be back soon. Um, 
So I've, uh, you know, I'm an independent person. How dare you? And uh, living my life, doing so many things this week, staying so busy, took him to the airport uh, and immediately raced, wait for it, to go see my mom in a, at her dance recital. I raced to Trader Joe's, got some flowers. My mom thought I couldn't make it to her dance recital uh, at, at Ryan Heffington's sweat spot. If you don't know what I'm talking about or who I'm talking about, Ryan Heffington is like the coolest, most incredible choreographer uh, in, in the dance world today. He choreographs all of Sia's all of Sia's music videos and uh, choreographs pieces for Spike Jones and just everybody. And he's such a fucking sweetheart, cool, badass. And he has a, a dance studio called The Sweat Spot in Silver Lake. And my mom goes to uh, the studio and she takes classes from, from a different teacher because he's always off on the go living his life. Um, but I guess the school was having a dance recital and my mom got chosen uh, by her teacher to be in the dance and in, in, uh, in the dance for her class. And so the whole night there were like 20 different pieces uh, of like, you know, performed by some were professional dancers who were, have been dancing forever and are, are like making a living at it or very successful at it. Others were like intermediate dancers. Others were like beginners and just, you know, taking classes at the school. Anyway, um, I told my mom, oh my goodness, I'm running around. I'm going to be dropping off the boyfriend at the airport. Oh fuck, I'm going to try to make everything work, but I, I don't think I can make it. And she was like, no, don't worry about it. I, I don't think you'd want to go anyway. So I just didn't want to get her hopes up and I wanted to surprise her because I thought, oh fuck, if anything goes wrong and I can't make it and she's expecting me, I'll feel like a horrible daughter. I kind of didn't really want to go because I was like, do I want to see my mom dancing in a dance recital? I mean, now looking back, of course I do. And of course I did. Anyway, so I go to Trader Joe's, get some flowers, race over, find parking, have a weird parking situation with some selfish monster driver. And there's no reason to talk about it right now, but I am probably going to talk about it. So irritating. I forget because I take lifts everywhere. And now that I'm driving and have a car to drive, uh, you know, yeah, I'm going to say the classic LA cliche. Uh, LA drivers are horrible. I mean, I'm one of them, but this woman was so selfish. I'm like racing to see my mom perform, to get to the, the dance studio. And this woman is like, turns her car on. She's going to leave, but she's texting. And so she's just sitting in her car. So I'm like waiting there patiently, but I'm literally waiting there. I, I'm not joking. This is not an embellishment. I'm waiting for 15 minutes. And then I gesture because I'm like, maybe the joke's on me. Maybe she just got here. Maybe I don't know what's going on. I should just keep driving, looking for another spot. She, I gesture at her and, and she gets really hostile and she holds her finger up and she's a total cunt. I'm going to say it. She was a fucking cunt. That word exists for a reason. And, uh, and she just wasn't moving. And then finally when she did move, I don't even want to get it. Who cares? It doesn't matter. But, uh, she was so rude when she was pulling out. Oh God, she just took her sweet time. She was like angry at me. What did I do? Sit there and wait patiently. What a dick. Anyway, people, am I right? Okay. So I sneak in, I get into the dance company. Uh, everybody was wonderful who worked there. They were so sweet. I was like, don't tell my mom that I'm here. Is there availability? They got me in. They were so sweet about my mom. They're like, oh my goodness, we know she's had two strokes and she tells us how important dance class is for her brain and how much she loves it. And I was like, yes, my mom loves this dance class. I'm so glad I'm here. 
Anyway, the night begins. The performances were incredible. Ryan Huffington is performing. Uh, it's it. I was like moved to tears uh, after some of the performances because I was like, "Holy shit! I forgot dance is it's another form of art." Uh, who knew? I forgot. I forgot that it's art and that it can make you feel feelings and that it can, you know, uh, take you on a journey and tell a story just through movement. I couldn't believe it. I'd be, I was watching this one dance, like several dances, and, and I was like thinking to myself, oh my God, I've been in a relationship like that. You know, like the, the, the difficulty between two people trying to, you know, who are in love and tethered to each other and addicted to one another, but it's toxic and it's this and that and yakety schmackety. And all of that was translated through these dance moves and these two people just, you know, anyway. Um, a lot of the dances were fun, filled with energy. The music was loud. And then my mom's performance came up and there she was. There she was on stage. I couldn't believe it. My cute mom. She couldn't see me. I was right in the front row because there was like limited seating. The whole place was packed. I would have been terrified if my, you know, if I were my mom, because you know, she's not a professional dancer and it is scary to get up and perform, even though she is a singer and she's in a band and she plays music, but you know, this is different. kind of out of her comfort zone and she's never been in a recital, a dance recital. So, uh, and I was just hoping that she wouldn't accidentally spot me in the front row mid dance and then like trip or freak out or be like, Whoa! but uh, she didn't see me, but I could see her and she did such a great job and I love her so much. It was such a fun night. And then afterwards, after all the 20 performances were, were done, uh, the dancers were, you know, everybody came out who performed that night and then they went out into the audience and like grabbed people by the hand to bring them up on stage, you know, and, and to dance and just so it, was, it turned into a whole dance party. And that's when my mom saw me and I gave her her flowers and, and we just danced on the stage together and I met all of her friends and she introduced me because moms are so proud of their kids, you know, uh, and that was sweet. She was like, this is my daughter. Anyway, and I just gave her a big hug and then she went out for margaritas, I think, with her friends and I was like, I got to get out of here. I'm exhausted. I am tired. Um, anyway, so that was a highlight of the week. And uh, second highlight is I got a fucking spray tan, which is so unlike me. I can't believe I did this, but uh, one of my girlfriends, she's been on this podcast, the Love Alexi podcast, Brittany Furlon, and now she has her own podcast called Worst Firsts, which is like topping the charts. She's had, she's having amazing guests on Machine Gun Kelly, her husband, Tommy Lee is on there. Uh, yesterday, because uh, I'm trying to see all my friends and now that I have a car, I'm like trying to drive to all the places I, I don't usually go out to via Lyft. So I drove out to where she lives to go have dinner with her. And she was like, we're going to get a spray tan. Because she gets spray tan. Like, we're, we're so different. Like, style, like, our style is so different. But, we you know, we're such good friends. And I'm like, no, listen, you're tan. You've got this incredible butt, amazing boobs. You're tan. You're like this, you're like a Playboy Playmate vibe. I'm your arty friend. You know, I, I do love my body, but I love being pale. I'm your, like, pale, emo um, you know, artsy girlfriend. She's like, shut up. We're going to get a spray tan. You're going to love it. And I'm like, am I? Will I? Oh my God. I didn't want one, but I couldn't pass up the experience of going with her and getting naked and, uh, you know, documenting it on Instagram and, uh, Insta stories. So we did it and it was really fun to be naked together. And, you know, we're just like, it was just so fun and ridiculous. And, uh, now here I am with a chiseled, spray tan. I got the lightest one, but it's still funny because I still feel dark and I'm used to being paler than a ghost. And, uh, 
I think it lasts for seven days. I heard it's going to get streaky. It looks good so far. It looks like I was kissed by the sun, kissed by the sun. And like I went to Ibiza and, you know, just uh, partied on the beach. Like I was at Lindsay Lohan's resort in Mykonos. But uh, so, yeah, so I never have to do that again, but it was, uh, you know, worth it for the fun time experience with a girlfriend. And then we went to dinner with her and her husband. It was so funny. I was like, okay, now we're going to gossip over dinner and we're going to catch up. And she's like, Tommy's going. Is that cool? And I was like, what? Okay. Yeah, that's totally cool. How funny. And I was like, am I, am I a third wheel on your date or, is, or what's the deal here? It's like, I felt like my parents were taking me out to dinner. So it's just yeah, me, Brittany Furlon and Tommy Lee having dinner and uh, it, it, me and my spray, my spray tan is very exciting. Um, I think that's all I really have to tell you. Except, uh, oh, you know what? It's prom season. And uh, I've been thinking about that because it keeps coming up on like the news. I'll, I'll be out and about or people are talking about prom or I'm like, what's going on? What are these people shopping for at, at, you know, at the Grove or whatever? Oh, prom outfits. And then it made me think about how my prom, I mean, I, uh, I don't know what I was thinking, but... A long time ago, when I went to my prom, I had a huge crush on one of my teachers, a man. He was French. I'm not going to get into it. But I would fuck with him so hardcore. Like, I was 17 years old, maybe 18. I'll say 18, but I was probably 17. And I didn't want to be in high school anymore. I so wanted to drop out. I was, like, on drugs. I was trying to be really skinny. I was, you know, what was I taking? Whatever. I was taking drugs. I don't recommend it. I don't take drugs now. I can barely have like two cocktails or uh, if I do, I'm like terribly hungover. Anyway, so I, I was, oh my God, I was so in lust. I don't think I was in love with him, but I was in lust with my French teacher in high school. And I was dating a guy who was younger than me. He was like two years younger than me and he didn't went to a different school and he was so cute. Oh my God. He just looked like, he looked like Mick Jagger. Like most of my boyfriends have looked like Mick Jagger. Um, and I remember making this, I mean, did I make him? I remember getting ready to go to prom. The boy I was dating, his name was Max, drove over to my house, gave me a corsage, and then I went to prom alone because I didn't want him to go with me. I did not want him to go with me. This is how, is it selfish? This is how selfish and independent I was. And I, I, was, I only did, and I only do, but you know, things that I want to do. Okay. If I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. Yeah. I'm still like that. I didn't want him to go to prom with me because I wanted to be available to my teacher. If my teacher was chaperoning prom. So I get to prom because I had this idea like, Oh my God, maybe we'll have sex. We'll make out. It'll be really sexy. Cause I, I would flirt with my teacher all the time in school because I wanted, like I said, I wanted to drop out. I wasn't happy. I was doing drugs. I just like wanted to get the fuck out of there. So it kept me into you know, going to class every day and getting up in the morning and going to school instead of ditching or just dropping out altogether, I would just fuck with my teacher and flirt with him. Like, you know, he'd ask a question to the class and I'd raise my hand and then I'd like say something that was very provocative and make direct eye contact with him. And I knew what I was doing. I knew my power. I've, I've been, I was 5'11 then, I'm 5'11 now. You know, I was cute then, I'm cute now. Hello, hello. Um, yeah, and I knew he was attracted to me. I just knew it. 
And uh, I was relentless. Oh my God, I was just trying to make it so hard for him to flirt with him so intensely. It was crazy. So anyway, I get to my prom and I'm like, okay, I'm all ready. I'm all looped up emotionally. I ditched the date, got the corsage here on my own, totally flying solo, ready for whatever happens. And uh, he didn't show up. Turns out my uh, the teacher I was hot for was not chaperoning the prom. And uh, I don't even know if I made out with anybody. I think I ended up getting naked or in my undies in a hot tub. Definitely got drunk. Um, I hope I made out with someone. I mean, do I hope? I, I mean, that's, uh, knowing me, I'm sure I wanted to make out if I was drunk and getting topless in a thing and all bummed out that, you know, teacher didn't show up. But yeah, that's what I did for prom. And uh, so that memory has been coming coming up for me lately every time I see a big bunch of school kids, high schoolers walking by or see people mentioning it on the news. Um, and I've become obsessed with this thing called The Pattern. It's a new app. I love astrology. I love psychics, astrology, tarot, human design, all these things that are like that help people feel less out of control in this kind of, you know, world that where there is no control. I love astrology. I love reading my horoscope, all this stuff. So there is this new app that like multiple people kept telling me about. They're like, have you checked out the pattern? Have you checked out the pattern? You got to check out the pattern. I was like, oh my God, leave me the fuck alone. I don't care. What are you talking about? Stop, stop. And then I decided to check it out and I'm fucking obsessed it is the greatest. It is so dead on. If you have a, a boyfriend or girlfriend or you're in a relationship, you can they if they download it, they can put their information in, their birth time, their birthplace, get a reading for themselves, and then you guys can follow each other on there and then see your compatibility. And it's so fucking dead on. Because somebody else told me about a thing called CoStar, another astrology app. No. CoStar, too confusing. Not deep enough. Vague, confusing. Not entertaining, not on the nose. No, thank you. I, I, you know, and I even reached out to the pattern. I was like on Instagram. I was like, whoever you are, wherever you are, I want to talk to the creator of this app on the Love Alexi podcast. And they got back to me. They're like, we would love to. So look forward to them or whoever they are, the the brains behind the pattern being a guest on this podcast. So that's exciting. Um, yeah, because I had Jenna Zoe, Zoe, Jenna Zoe, Jenna Zoe the creator or, you know, uh, of human design on my podcast. And that was exciting. Um, so I think you'll like if I, if I speak to the creators of the pattern. Anyway, other things I want to tell you quickly. Uh, I saw Longshot, the Seth Rogen movie. Loved it. Saw the new Avengers Marvel movie. Loved it. Um, I really want to see Under the Silver Lake. That looks good. And uh, what else do I want to see? Oh, my God, I'm dying to see this new show. Don't tell me about it. Don't tell me. But I'm dying to see Dead to Me, the new show on Netflix. I'm dying to binge watch it, but I'm waiting for the boyfriend to get back because that's another thing you have to do that I remember. You don't have to do anything, but I forgot about when it comes to relationships. Somebody goes out of town, you save the binge watch sesh because you want to watch it with uh, the, the person you're in love with. So you guys can both have the experience, share the experience together, you know? So I can't wait to watch it because everybody's saying it's great. Uh, Brittany and Tommy said it was incredible. They binge watched it. The preview looked great to me. The boyfriend and I watched the preview on Netflix before he left and we're like, holy shit, this is sucking us in. 
Christina Applegate and, and uh, whoever the other girl is. Who's the other girl? Linda Cardellini from Freaks and Geeks. Yeah, looks good. They're great actresses. The content looks good. The writing looks good. Anyway, I said content. Jesus fucking Christ. Anyway, what else did I do? This week, I just did so many things I want to tell you about in case you want to do them too, in case you live in Los Angeles or just have a desire to get a spray tan or see these movies wherever you are in the world or download the pattern or what have you. Um, I went to a photo show at the Annenberg Photo Space in Los Angeles. It's called Contact High. It's a hip-hop retrospective. Went there, loved it. Incredible photos, incredible documentary that they show. Couldn't believe it. It's in Century City, which I feel is like such a dorky part of Los Angeles. And then tucked away in the dorkiness of Century City is the Annenberg photo space, you know, with this really great retrospective. So that was cool. Went to the Dresden Room uh, on Vermont and Los Feliz and saw Marty and Elaine perform, in case you don't know who they are. See the movie Swingers. That's like where I think Marty and Elaine became famous because they ha- there's a cameo with this, this old older couple, uh, old camp kind of couple. I'm not going to talk about the Met Gala. I don't care. Um, speaking of camp, but because uh, that was the Met Gala theme. But uh, Marty and Elaine, this kooky older couple, he wears a wig, they're married, she plays piano, they sing old-timey songs like Frank Sinatra. And uh, that was fun. I usually don't want to go to that place because I think it's cornball. But then I went and I was like, fuck. I love feeling like a tourist in Los Angeles and uh, enjoying ridiculous, fun things like this. Anyway, listen, you guys, if you like this podcast, I got to tell you these things because it's a podcast intro and you must know these things and know how important it is to me to tell you these things. If you like this podcast, the Love Alexi podcast, subscribe on iTunes, rate the show, leave a comment. It really does help me grow the show. I tell you this every week, but it's totally true. I read all your, uh, your comments and, you know, it makes a difference. Thank you. And uh, thank you. Uh, Hello? All right. Uh, I think we should be friends on social media for sure. Let's be friends on Instagram at Alexi Wasser because I love to DM with strangers. I totally overshare on there. And uh, yeah. And the Love Alexi podcast, this podcast is an independent listener supported podcast. So feel free to make a donation. You can do so via Venmo at Alexi Wasser. No donation is too big or too small. It's all appreciated because, uh, you know, I do this show because I love it and I'm obsessed with doing it. And when you make a donation, it makes it possible for me to continue doing this show. If you want to come to the next Girls Night In uh, in Los Angeles, uh, I would love to have you. What's Girls Night In, you ask? Let me explain. Girls Night In is an all-girl gathering I put on once a month. It's a pop-up gathering at a private residence, 20 girls in total, uh, including me, all women. It's basically like a, a living room hang sesh where we all sit around in a circle, mix, mingle, chat, meet, overshare, and everybody goes around in a circle and talks about what they're going through what they're spiraling over, what they need guidance with. And uh, it's just a really therapeutic, cathartic experience. Uh, it's like a safe space for women. Yeah, I'm going to say it, that buzz phrase, safe space, Because, but it is. And if you're new to Los Angeles, it's a really great opportunity to make new friends. And I hear a lot of girls say, oh, it's so hard for me to make new female friends. It's so hard to come to a city and make new friendships, forge new friendships. And that is one of the most wonderful takeaways from this night that I put on, Girls Night In, is that girls forge friendships. 
They go on to start bands together. They hang out. They go see movies. They go to parties. They go to art shows. They Whatever. Friendships are formed. And that's one of the most special things about uh, Girls' Night In. So if you're interested in going, uh, the next one is Saturday, June 15th, 7 to 10 p.m. in Los Angeles. Uh, if you want to get a ticket to secure your spot, Venmo $25 to at Alexi Wasser and include your telephone number and your Instagram handle. Uh, I also provide big sister sessions, which are uh, one-on-one Skype sessions with me where I serve as your big sister uh, and that means you can, wherever you are in the world, and if you're male or female, it's not just for girls, male or female, oh wait, there's a helicopter going over me right now. All right. Authentic, authenticity. We're having a real moment. Helicopter whizzing by, wanting to be a part of this podcast intro. Um, yeah, so I provide big sister sessions uh, via Skype with men and women, wherever you are, men, women, boys, girls, whatever, wherever you are, if you're struggling with something uh, and you need to talk and you want to vent and you want guidance and you want advice and you want somebody to hear what you're going through and you just need a hand to hold to help you through it, um, click the link in my Instagram bio at Alexi Wasser to schedule for information and to schedule a big sister session with me. And, uh, and then you leave the session with action tools and things to do to feel more uh, empowered and to get through whatever it is you're going through. So I've done tons of them. I've made so many friends. I've got so many little sisters and little brothers. It's very cute. And uh, I hope maybe you'll book a big sister session as well. And you know what? Uh, I don't need to talk about anything else. I'll tell you about other stuff next week. So right now I'm going to shut the fuck up so you can enjoy my conversation with Wendy Suzuki. All right. Oh my All goodness. Right. Okay. Thank you for doing this again. I know you you're are welcome. Do you know you're coming to my apartment? I'm, oh God. I thought, I thought so it says, yeah, I didn't want to scare you. I was like, oh God, I'm luring her into my apartment. She probably thinks she's going to a studio and like, uh, <laughs> I hope she's okay with this. No, no, it's fine. All right. It's great. Is this flattering? I don't know if it is. I'll go like that. Okay. I'll go like that. Oh, you guys are, who are listening, my listeners, we are recording uh, this podcast conversation on my iPhone. Okay. Just so they have an awareness yes. of every time I talk about when I look over at my, myself like a narcissist. But uh, So you're in Los Angeles and you live in New York. I do. Okay. Yes. And how long are you here for? I uh, arrived on Monday night and I leave on Saturday at noon. For lots of work stuff. Yeah. All work the work stuff. stuff. All work stuff? No yeah. fun stuff? Oh, well, in the middle of the work stuff, there's lots of fun stuff. Yeah. I'm staying with a dear friend. Yeah. And we get to hang out. And he has a cute little daughter who's three years old he, and a dog. It's a, it's a he? Yeah. Two he's. Oh, my goodness. Oh, got it. All right. Wow. Yes. Are you going out to any restaurants? Do you drink? I drink. You do? Yes. Oh, my God. I don't know. I don't know. I thought since you were, you know, a scientist, a wizard master, and so intelligent, <laughs> maybe you... But then again, I'll see, like, surgeons outside of Cedars-Sinai, yeah. and they're smoking. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. don't they... I don't smoke. You don't smoke. I do. I mean, I drink. I like to really save up for the experience of a drink yeah. um, with a great cocktail oh. or, you know, my favorite is Prosecco, actually. Oh, really? I love Prosecco slash champagne slash sparkly yeah. alcoholic drinks. That's, That's highbrow. That's my absolutely favorite. Me too. And now I'm starting to get into those fancy cocktails yeah. and concoctions that are beautiful. I used to not be into them because oh, I'm really? like, oh, it's so exhausting. Let's keep it simple. Yeah, yeah. I'll have like a, you know, a Prosecco or a vodka grapefruit or uh-huh. so something easy. And now I'm like... 
oh, look how it's presented. It's so I know. exciting. I'm like, oh, and for me? Herbs. I know. Yeah, I love the herbs. I don't know when the- this happened. Yeah, I guess I'm an adult. <laughs> I'm a woman now yes. and I love it. Um, okay. So just for my, for me and my listeners, uh, who are you? What do you do? So I don't mess it up. All right. So... My name is Wendy Suzuki, and I'm a professor of neuroscience and psychology at New York University. I am passionate about understanding how physical movement and exercise can change your brain for the better and the chemical pathways by which it does that. And that is my mission, to figure that out and give people their optimized exercise prescription for exactly what they have to do to make their brain optimal. Is this uh, optimal to do what? Everything? Just to, to live remember? your life yeah. optimally. So what exercise does is it improves your mood, it improves your memory, it improves your attention. It protects your brain from aging. This is a question of longevity too. And um, by starting a program of the optimal prescription for exercise today, you are also protecting your brain for the rest of your life. Do you recommend supplements too? You know, I am not an expert in nutrition. Nutrition is key. Also sleep. Yeah. Oh God. That's, My, a, that's what I lack uh, oh, right now. Really? I'm, I, I got like three hours of sleep. Oh no. I had like, I had, yeah, I had three drinks yesterday and not uh-huh. enough sleep. Yeah. Nightmare. Ready yeah. to podcast. Okay. <laughs> Ready to have a deep tangential conversation. Yes. yes. Um, but yeah. Okay. Sleep. Sleep. Um, nutrition, uh, uh, exercise, uh, mental stimulation, they're all interrelated. Can't do everything at once. My focus is physical activity, partially because we are becoming such a sedentary society. Is this because of social media and being on your computer all the time? Exactly. And I want to make that my mission because that's the one I'm most passionate about. Yes, I eat well. I I do drink. I love love Prosecco. You got to live. You got to live. You got to live. And I'm careful about my sleep and I meditate every day too. You do? I do. What kind of meditation? I do do an open monitoring meditation. Okay, unpack that. Yeah, please. So open monitoring meditation is basically... um, you are just aware, open, aware of your body, aware of breathing, um, um, focusing on the things around you that are not your phone, it's not the TV, it's not yeah. anything, but it's an open monitoring about your own self. And I do it in a special way because um, I found it very hard to sit there with my you know, uh, legs crossed and and ohm and and do that. I, I think that's really really hard. Yeah. So I was taught by this amazing monk that I met um, in Bali to do what's called a tea meditation. So it's combining meditation, open monitoring meditation, as I just defined, with the brewing and drinking of tea. I love this. And for me, the added ritual of boiling the water, of putting it warming, warming the teapot, then putting that water out and then putting the tea leaves in and then soaking it. Um, That ritual, um, pouring it, drinking it and doing it over several times. My meditations usually last uh, between 30 minutes and 45 minutes and I'm not waiting for it to end. I'm wishing that I can do more. So it's an active meditation. Yes. It's almost like, I, I know my therapist once said, oh, you know, uh, Alexi, you might like a walking meditation because mm, I love yes. walking. Yes. So it's like, are, you're just 
you're mindful of, of what exactly. you're doing. You put your attention on, on the tea, mm-hmm. the brewing of it, right. all this stuff. Oh, so your eyes are open. You're okay. up. Mm-hmm. You're up. And you drink the tea. You drink the tea uh, with... Awareness of the heat of the bowl, Thank with the yeah, the the smell. So I also this this monk that I met, um, he runs something called the Global Tea Hut, where he sources um, um, organically grown teas throughout China. And so my source of tea is literally he is my link to all the tea in China. And there are so many different kinds of tea. I'm not. Drinking Twinnings, you know, Earl ah, Grey. I believe it's pronounced Twinnings. Oh, How sorry. dare you? Excuse ah! me. Pardon me. Pardon me. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm glad we all learned something today. And I'm not even the scientist. Okay. <laughs> anyway, I'm not a professor at all. But, you know, red teas, black teas, yeah. um, puer teas, which are the smoked teas, these are um, they can be as expensive as fine wines. Oh wow! And so I'm sampling all of these, which is like a, a, a new exploration every single morning that I'm trying these different teas, and so it adds yet another like something that draws me to this tea meditation oh. every morning. So yeah, you, you get excited, you look forward to it, oh, and then gosh, it, I do, and it grounds you. It grounds me, and I cannot tell you what level of creativity that I have during those morning meditations. Yes, I'm doing my open monitoring meditations, but you know what comes to me is the answer to the things, the big things that I'm I'm considering. It's not like I try, okay, I have to solve this problem yeah. from yesterday or that problem. It's It just becomes clear oh, because so nice. all the other superfluous stuff just leaves and I'm left with myself, my thoughts, in clarity. Oh, I love this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I've just been doing the boring normal meditation where it's like my eyes are closed. I'm listening yeah. to like an app, like Insight Timer for 20 minutes. And now I've, I've started to look forward just to that because it's so hard to even do any kind of meditation. Mm-hmm. But my goodness, I know it's such a boring cliche, the word meditation, meditation, especially in LA or any yes. major city. But man, my God, it helps so much. It's just like... It does. Oh, and... Bali, mm-hmm. how did you end up there? Should I go? Because I've oh. been like, it, the seed has been planted. I had a girl on the podcast mm-hmm. who travels everywhere and, yeah. and went to Bali and has all these wonderful recommendations. And I was always kind of scared to go, even though I fell in love with Eat, Pray, Love. And uh-huh. I was like, I yes, was like, oh, I yes. got to go to Bali. I got to meet... Uh, I was in Ubud. Oh, and you I were? I did not meet... Chutot or... Kutut. Kutut. Oh, my God. We are such women. Kutut. I did not meet Kutut. Is he real? He is real. No, not the yeah, guy you in know the movie why I that know? was not real. Yes, it was. That guy you know in the movie. How? Mo- how? I don't know whether Kutut played Kutut in the movie. That's what I'm asking. But I know ah. that Kutut is real because I saw an Airbnb that said, come stay at Kutut's house. He was, he was renting out an Airbnb. Kutut Airbnbs? Kutut what Airbnb. the fuck? Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to curse in front of you. Oh, God, you're better than that. That is insane. Isn't that hilarious? Oh my, but did you feel safe there? And how long did you go? How many times have you gone? So this was for my 50th birthday. What? And I totally blew out. And I said, I'm going to take a trip of a lifetime. Yeah. And I'm going to invite my best friend, Cheryl. Oh so Cheryl Shout said, out to Cheryl. Yeah, Cheryl. Ah. Hi, Cheryl. <laughs> We had the best time. Oh I mean, God. just imagine going to your dream places that you've never gone to with your very best friend. Yeah. It was a girl trip. We did massages. We went to 
Cambodia, um, Thailand, yeah. uh, um, Indonesia, and then we ended up in Bali because that was the final pièce de résistance yeah. of the whole trip. Oh my god! And should you go to Bali? I want to go. Yeah, yeah. It is beautiful. Oh my god! It is restful. Every third building is a temple. Why am I so scared to go? Why do I have all this fear about Bali? Is it because of the airplane crashes and stuff? No, but now it is. (laughs) Jesus. No, it's, uh, I don't know. I just feel like I'm going to, these are all my, this is my fear. Mm. I'll just out it. Maybe it's based in nothing. Kidnapping, murder. No, 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 no. Why am I thinking that? I don't know. Thailand. I'm I'm scared to go to Thailand because I'm afraid like little boys and weird sex thing. You know what I mean? Like like that Uh, that whole scene that I always hear about. I was in, I think maybe Bangkok, obviously, capital city. Yeah. I was in, um, where was I? It wasn't Phuket, but it was another island, you know, tropical island, yeah. uh, part of Thailand. Um, that was absolutely spectacular with okay. a huge gold Buddha. And we visited the temples and um, there were definitely touristic parts, but it did not feel scary. dangerous or scary okay. at all. And this is with your best friend. This, this is with was, Cheryl. Yes, this was the Cheryl. All right. And, but you're not like a... You seem, you seem, I mean, you seem like a very happy person. I Aren't am. you happy? I am very happy. No. And so and you don't have a lot of fear in you, it seems like. Oh, everybody has fear. But you don't have a lot of, okay. Well, I have, well, define a lot. I don't know. Uh, what are you afraid of? Like, what is your fear? You're not riddled with it. Um, or what's, is, it, uh, is that your phone? Yes, it is. Uh-oh. Sorry Oh my that. God. Oh, no, Unbelievable. <laughs> my whole bottom half looks so... Big, my head looks so little because of this angle. That's okay. That's okay. We are podcasting. Wendy is blowing up. I'm jealous. Is anybody texting me? Hello? Oh, no. I'm recording this on my phone, so I can't even tell. Who was it? You know how you get these weird calls from foreign lands? Yeah. Bali? It was one of those. Oh, what? No, it wasn't. I know. I get them from Lithuania. Yeah. um, Asking for uh, money? No, I just don't answer because I've heard that if you do answer, then they think, oh, there's somebody there and they keep calling you oh more and more God, and more. Oh my God, nightmare. So it's just one of those calls. Yeah. I apologize. I meant no, to turn that no off. No worries. I should have put this on air, airplane mode. I hope nobody calls me. Luckily, oh. luckily nobody usually does. <laughs> so it's fine. We it's should be true. We should be fine. Um, <laughs> but oh, because I was going to ask, because you know, you went to Bali, you had this adventure yeah. with your friend. You, you seem like it's like a brave, fun thing to do. And yeah. we, we will get back to like what fear you might be riddled by. Yeah, but, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, but when you say your passion is looking for people, you want, you want to help people be their optimal self. Yes. Uh, with exercise in their brain and, and mm-hmm. you know, and, and be happy. Yes. So, how did you, where did that passion come from? You know, it came from going through a transition myself. So were you uh, were you low, and that's what oh, the part, yeah. oh okay because I'm like, all right. Yeah, she was yeah. low. I was right? low. <laughs> I was low. And you know, so yesterday um, I did this amazing event for the Wonder of Women. It wow, was the Wonder of Women conference at UCLA. Yeah, and I had this amazing opportunity to speak <clears throat> with the um, dancer Julianne Huff. Oh wow! And um, because we went out to lunch one day because we have a mutual friend. Just we, the two of you? You had like a blind girl date? Uh, no, of? the friend was there too. Okay. But we all had lunch together and um, the friend I'm staying with actually. Oh, wow. Okay. And um, we realized very quickly on in this lunch that we both had the same life purpose. I want to help people's brains um, through movement, exercise, and understand the science. 
She just wants to bring dance and movement into people's lives to make them joyful and happy. And we're like, oh my God, I never would have realized that a dancer like Julianne and me, a neuroscientist, we literally have exactly the same life purpose. Yeah. And so that led to lots of interesting conversations. And right after that, she got in, invited to speak at the Wonder of Woman. She said, Wendy, why don't you come with me? I love this. So we got to do this presentation together. It was half, uh, it was called The Power and the Science of Dance on the Brain. And so she talked about what she knew to be true from a lifetime of dance and how it changed her and how it helped her through very difficult time in um, adolescence when she was away from her family uh, in London doing dance school and, and um, uh, only living with coaches. Yeah. And um, she realized later that that the physical aspect of dance helped her through this depression and anxiety that she was she was feeling. Is it just because of endorphins, the creation of endorphins or no or well, what it's is partially it? it's yeah. partially that is because endorphins are the brain's natural um, morphine. But mainly it is the fact that every single time that you move and not just Julianne Huff moving, like you and me really? moving, yeah. normal moving. I'm always yes. on this couch, but yes, normal <laughs> moving. I do love walking. Okay, yeah. good. So um, walking, um, um, aerobic activity stimulates the release of serotonin, which is um, the major tr- neurotransmitter uh, that is giving you good mood. But it not only stimulates neuro- um, serotonin, it stimulates dopamine, Okay. Critical for reward. Oh. It stimulates noradrenaline. So this is every single time that you increase your heart rate, you're getting these benefits. Yeah. And so imagine a professional dancer like Julianne and her daily routine. That is helping her um, mood and happiness every single day. She came to realize that later. And that's part of her mission is to bring that joy through movement well, how did you get to that? Because she was always dancing. Yeah. She she was had a talent at dancing, and right. then, and then she realized that the, that the movement yeah brought her happiness. She right. to bring, and then you know, she wants to bring that to other people. Yeah. How did you? Because where were you at? Yeah. Like, so I was a, an assistant professor at New York University, trying really really hard to earn tenure. It takes six years to work hard enough and they judge you on those six years of work and they say, okay, you're either one of us or you suck. Oh my God. Wait, where did you go to college? Where did you go to... I went to college at UC Berkeley, but this was my faculty position at New York University. Okay. And what do you have to do when you're working really hard? What does that entail? Really, we're working really hard. You have your research lab. You basically have to have an earth-shattering discovery oh my that God. all the other scientists says, yes, that worth that finding is worth giving you tenure. And it's a high bar. Tenure means they cannot fire me. Oh, that I'm good. I'm, I'm glad you told me, so okay. I didn't have to ask, because I was about to say, okay, uh, what is that exactly? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so no pressure at all. You just no have to come up with this amazing discovery. Okay. Yes, yes. Six what? years, yeah. you have to do this. And so what did I do? I put my head down and worked. And I only went from my... Um, apartment, which was just two blocks away from the lab, to the lab, out to get takeout, because there's really good takeout in New York. Oh, good, yeah. And I went back to the apartment. I ate that takeout in front of the TV and then went straight back to work. Because you got to eat. You got to eat. You got to eat. You got to (laughs) eat. Six years. I ate well. Yeah. I totally ate well. I knew all the greatest takeout places. Yeah. But takeout can be fattening, and it's not nearly as good as you for you as making your own food. Do you cook now, by the way? I do. Yeah, I, I love been, cooking. I've fallen in love with cooking recently. Yeah. Oh, that's great. It's funny. It's because I'll throw it right back to you, but it's because yeah. of my relationship, because we got in a big fight one day, and he said, 
you don't even cook for me, like to show a loving gesture. Uh, uh-huh. He said like, because like, I guess I was just kind of selfish in the relationship or mm. whatever, whatever his deal was. Yeah. He mentioned cooking and I thought, well, if this is something that would make him happy, I'm going to make the effort, uh-huh. even though I'm not a cook. And I started cooking and then I went, I love this. Oh, that's oh my great. God, it's so, uh, I, I, not cathartic. What's the word for yeah. it? Not maternal. I can't. It's comforting. Therapeutic and yeah, it yeah. feels really nice to cook. And yeah. I like having a cocktail while I'm cooking. Oh yeah, that's plan, even better. Planning a menu. Anyway, but so you're eating yes. uh, the takeout. So I'm eating the takeout. This is for, you know, five years I'm doing this. Uh-oh. And suddenly there's this big um, glass window uh, on my way to work. And I remember walking past it saying, I am wide. W- when did I get this wide? And I'd gained 25 pounds. You did? I gained 25 pounds over what I weigh right now. And um, it was that, but it was also, I, I realized I had no friends outside of lab. I'd been working so hard. And I had colleagues and I had lab members, and we had a great time in lab. It was a, you know, active, and we were making discoveries. Yeah. But I was like, oh, my God, this, I have to do something. And um, then I went on a vacation because I weighed 25 pounds over, and I didn't have any friends, so I went on a vacation by myself. By yourself? I went, I went river rafting, knowing you can go join a group, but I went by myself because I had no friends. That is, you are so brave. You went randomly river rafting? I did. Wait, you were living in New York. You hadn't gotten tenure. Tenure. Yeah, tenure. I haven't gotten tenure yet. Tenure yet. Okay, that hadn't happened yet. No. You take a break, even yeah. though you're such a workaholic. Yes. How'd you make the time to take a break? When was well, your time to take a break? I, I gave myself permission to because I, I worked so hard. I said, okay, I get a vacation. And I need to leave this city and these two blocks that I keep walking back and forth yeah. from, from my lab to my apartment. And so I, I wanted to take an adventure vacation. And so I went river rafting. Um, in the on the Cotahuasi River in Peru, oh. so I go all the way to Peru with these strangers who were great. They were really fun. But my kind of come to Jesus moment was I realized I was the weakest person on this whole trip to Peru. There were sixteen year olds that were stronger than me that had big, bigger, better upper body strength, and there were sixty five year olds. Okay, they were triathletes, yeah, but they were good. You're 65, I'm 32, and you are stronger than me. This is not good. Oh, God, yeah. And so I came back to New York, and literally, I remember I had bug bites on my bug bites from the trip. Still, it was a great trip. And the next day after I got back to New York, I marched the gym closest to my work, and I joined. It was Equinox. Oh, wow. And I stopped. Well, yeah. yeah. Um, So it was great. And I um, and I I got into the classes and I loved the classes. I see, aerobic classes. Aerobic you like, classes. What, dance classes. What were they? I took. I remember the first class I took was a hip hop class. Oh, oh my, my god! god. I'm so bad at hip hop. You are so cool. You're just river rafting. You're hip hopping. <laughs> you're you know whatever. You're in Bali. I, it's like you are the coolest. Okay, so you're taking a hip hop class. Yeah, taking the hip hop class. Okay, I was the worst one in the hip hop class, but I still got that buzz. Yeah. From the the workout, oh. and they I love Equinox. They have so many great classes, and then I discovered the class that really kept me coming back. It's called Intensati. Have you ever heard of that? No, but my boyfriend goes to Equinox. Oh, and he he's like, oh, we should go together. Oh yeah. 
So what is it? It's called intensati. I don't think in- they offer. Yeah, inten comes from the word intention. Okay. And sati is a Pali word that means mindfulness or awareness. So intensati is the practice of bringing a whole new level of mindfulness or awareness to your own intentions. Okay. And um, what it is, it was developed by a fitness instructor in New York City, where I was. And um, her name is Patricia Moreno. And she um, brought in movements from kickbox and dance and yoga and martial arts and paired them with positive spoken affirmations. So each time you punch back and forth like you would do in kickbox class, you would say the affirmations, I am strong now. And every single move is associated with a different affirmation. And you string them together in what's called a series. And you write the series about whatever you're going through. And so you kind of work these things out and you shout these positive things with a whole bunch of other sweaty affirmations shouting people. So scary. Yeah. And yeah, I felt idiotic the first time I went. But then I realized nobody cared whether I was shouting. And I looked around. And they looked so joyous shouting these things. So by the end, I was shouting too. And I walked out of there. I was like, I am strong, damn it. I am Wonder Woman. I love this. And that is the class that helped me lose. Okay, I stopped eating so many carbs too. But it did help me lose the 25 pounds. And I eventually became uh, an Intensati instructor. So now I teach Intensati. And you still do? I do. Um, I used to, for six years, I taught a free Intensati class in New York City where anybody could come. And now I'm too busy to do that. So I teach when I go and give lectures to different corporations and things. I always incorporate movement. That is the coolest thing. I can't believe this. Yeah, it's fun. And then what was your discovery that that earned you? Uh, The discovery that earned me tenure was I've always been fascinated in memory. And um, I mean, how could it be that um, something that lasts just a moment, like like your first kiss, for example, yeah. um, that memory often lasts a lifetime. How could that be? I was always fascinated with that. Yeah. And so I studied a brain area that we know is critical for putting experiences in long-term memory. This area is called the hippocampus. And my discovery was... I was recording individual brain cells in the hippocampus as a subject was trying to learn something new. And for a long, long time, I got nothing. had no idea. Cells didn't care. There was no secret code there. I was sure there was a secret code, but there was nothing. Until one day, I remember recording, and um, something had just been learned. It was like it was clear, uh, it was kind of like a name-face association. So you'd get all these faces that you don't know the names of, and first you think, okay, um, uh, this one is Alexi. And, oh, you got that wrong. That one was Wendy. And the, oh, okay, finally get it. Okay, this is Alexi. And um, right when that started to happen, I can see whether the, the subject was getting, getting the question right, I heard a change in the firing pattern of the cell. I thought, oh, that's weird. And I realized later after I did the analysis that I was literally listening to the birth of a new memory in the brain because those cells were starting to become tuned to that new piece of information. It didn't care about anything else, anything else learned or new. It was learning the association between your picture, for example, and your name. 
How do you, who's the subject and how are you able to hear what's hooked up to what? So these are, these are um, very, very thin electrodes that you can use to um, measure the very brief electrical uh, patterns of activity that individual neurons give off. And um, you can use those approaches to understand what is going on in the brain. How often, this is fascinating, I'm just trying to take it all in and process this, but uh, my neurons are firing or something. (laughs) Can you hear them? uh, Yeah. (laughs) Okay. But uh, how often are memories um, wrong or like, or do they change over time? Because I know people are writing books now about how how I can like think all this stuff happened in the past, but really I've created, I've morphed into something different. Yeah, that's a great question. And we are, that's like the cutting edge of memory research in neuroscience right now is um, what's not cutting edge is that our memories are not very good. Memories are wrong a lot. It is not like your computer hard drive memory where once you hit that, you know, return button, it is there for all time. We um, are often wrong. And um, it turns out that every time you um, um, pull up an old memory, that is an opportunity to actually tweak it and change it a little bit. Um, uh, if it gets associated, if you know you pull it up and, and you're with your friend, you say, you remember that time that we were at the bar together? And don't you remember the woman with the red purse? And you say, no, I, I don't remember. Yeah. Well, if you have this long conversation, then a month later, sometimes that red purse gets inserted into your memory. Oh my now, God. Now, was it right or wrong? I don't know. Maybe the person was right. Maybe the person was wrong. Yeah. But it is, every time you bring up a new memory, um, you you can enhance the, the true part of the memory, but it's also an opportunity to tweak it a little bit. So people can, like, I, I know I've done hypnotherapy where... Mm. where uh, you go under or whatever. Do you even believe in that? That you can be hypnotized? Yes, I believe you can. Hip, hypnosis is a is a is a um, true state, and that you to access your subconscious, and then you are supposed to. It's for like working through stuff. It's kind of like mm-hmm. EMDR. Well, I've done EMDR also, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, you pull up a memory that that hasn't processed, that hasn't like uh, been digested um, or worked through. Yeah, and then. Yeah, you try to... One woman that I had on the podcast named Lacey Phillips, she says you you pull up the memory and then you change it in a positive way mm-hmm. so you don't have that kind of trauma lingering anymore right. and you rewrite your own story. It's kind of right. scary, the idea of it, because it's like some kind of science fiction movie well, where it's, it's like... it's like that movie, um, The Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, God, I haven't seen that in such a long time. It, it's, uh, it is a scary movie for a neuroscientist to see because um, they're... They're partially wrong, but they're partially right. And we don't have the technology to do what they said. But there are strategies that you can you can manipulate. Not necessarily um, delete specific memories, yeah. which, which, which is what they were trying to do. But what we are trying to do is use that technology for the good uh, to help people, for example, with PTSD. So these are people that have these horribly traumatic memories coming up in their brains over and over and over again that are causing that fight or flight response to happen and stress to happen. 
can we go back and not erase the memory, but make it okay that yeah. that, that memory um, is, is there, but it doesn't have that negative connotation. And then EMDR is slightly different where you just keep saying it over and over again until it's not so you don't react so intensely mm-hmm. to it. So you yeah. kind of work it through from, it's like a bilateral, what is it like from one side of the brain to the other side of the brain? Well, it's what that is uh, based on is something called extinction. So extinction is if you go through a, a traumatic event, and we can study this in animals and um, uh, and humans as well, um, uh, the traumatic... It was like a dump truck going by. We're trying to talk about EMDR, yeah, you jerks. excuse me. God, get out of here. Anyway, I can hear you. Keep that <laughs> mic near your mouth so, and I'll hear you. Yes, okay. Great shoes, so, by the way. Oh, thank you. Who makes these? Uh, these were um, jcrew.com. I love jcrew. Um, clearance. I if you love go these. on com and go to sale shoes, yeah. they have all the... Because I love J.Crew shoes, yeah, J. right? J.Crew shoes are great. They're expensive, though, yeah, are they? These are bottom basement on sale. I love them. Look at the cute ones. Look how expensive so. they look. And you have like a little bit of... This is called toe cleavage. Oh, really? Yeah. Because oh, it's I like it dips that. down low because it's so much yes. more highbrow. Yeah, those are great. Thank you. Um, this pod, and they're comfy. They, oh, they are comfy, too. Yeah, That's are. nice. Because I, I was afraid like the back would like uh, hurt your heel. It did, Sometimes. but then my heel got used to it. Yeah. And so, um, yeah. Um, that was a fun aside. But uh, <laughs> this podcast should be sponsored by Equinox and J. Crew. Absolutely. But, uh, Absolutely. Okay. So EMDR extinction. What? Yeah. Extinction is um, if you go. So uh, in uh, you can do this in animals or in humans. Um, you pair a tone, um, uh, any kind of tone, any sound with a shock. Okay, so you do tone shock, tone shock, tone shock. Then you don't like that tone anymore because it's associated with shock. Yeah. Extinction is playing tone, 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 tone without the shock until you say, okay, I believe you. The tone is not bad anymore. And that is um, a very well understood circuit. And it has to do with um, your prefrontal cortex telling the rest of the brain, hey, I've looked over the situation, and that tone, believe me, is not, you don't have to be afraid of it anymore. It's okay. So if you have a daddy issue or memory, whatever, and this happened this time, and it made me feel like this, and from then on in my life, every time I'm in a relationship with a man, I feel like I'm in survival mode, from this one event, yeah, and you just say it, say it, say it, say it, and then you're like, huh, I'm not not shaken. It's fine. Right. And it really works. Same principle. I mean, it works in certain situations, I'm sure, better than others. Yeah. And some, especially in us complex humans, can get really convoluted. Yeah. Um, but that is the principle. And in certain situations, it can work perfectly, wonderfully. Sometimes do you ever just think with all this therapy stuff, I know it's important and people do have PTSD and all this, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That sometimes just like move forward and stop looking at it. Is it dangerous to constantly be looking inside of your, you know, your brain, your mm-hmm. memories, your past? Yeah. Is it dangerous or is it, do you need to work through the stuff? Well, I believe you? that by definition, PTSD is something that comes up automatically. It's not like you can say, come on, don't stop being so lazy. Just turn that part of your brain off that it simply doesn't work. So there are interventions that um, have to happen. In fact, yesterday at the Wonder of Woman event, one of the most moving presentations that I saw was um, a new kind of PTSD therapy where they bring together not just the 
suffer of PTSD, but their family unit to do more family and group counseling together. Oh my God. So that, I mean, it just c- completely makes sense, yeah. right? And so um, we heard from two women, um, uh, one whose son had his arm amputated after a um, uh, terrible event in, in war, and she felt so guilty for having to be the one to say, yes, go do the amputation because he couldn't, he he wasn't in a mental state to be able to say yes. And then they went through therapy together to work through that. And that she is no longer, um, she, she was, she, she had a wonderful line. She said, when I started therapy, I called him my baby. He's a grown man. And, uh, by the end of therapy, I was calling him and thinking of him as my son. Oh, so, it, it, you know, her changed because she was his caregiver and her um, mindset is just as important as his mindset to be able to um, heal yeah. from that. But it, I mean, and I had such admiration for this woman to come in front of a bunch of strangers yeah, to tell vulnerable. her this very, very emotional story. And it was just beautiful. Was she in a codependent relationship with her son though? Uh, yeah, during the time that she was taking care of him, because it's kind of yeah, because like she he had to be okay for her to be okay yes. emotionally, yeah. And now they're now they're more both, separate. They're they're completely you know? separate because she said not only do I have a son, but now he's getting married. Now he's getting married. So, yeah, so great. Well, that's incredible. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to what you're saying about oh your breakthrough when you could hear yes. And that changed everything. That's what. And so you you had this discovery. Go into yes. that, and then yeah. So I had this discovery listening to the pattern of activity of this cell in the hippocampus, important for memory, and um, that discovery turned into um, a publication in one of the best journals in science called Science, and um, that was a discovery that got me tenure. Oh my god! But you would think that was my lifelong dream. I wanted to be a tenured professor because that meant I made it. Yeah. And so I made it, but I was still 25 pounds overweight. I still had no friends. I lived in New York City, my dream city. I had no friends to go to Broadway with. I love Broadway. Yeah. I love going to shows. Where were you born, by the way? I was born in San Francisco. San Francisco. Are your parents... Uh, what in are they? Bay Area. Bay Area. Yeah, Sunnyvale. Are they still together? Uh, my father passed away. I'm so sorry. That's right. Uh, but my mom's still there, and, and all of my um, closest family are in the Bay Area. And what does your dad do? What does your mom do? My dad was a electrical engineer in oh, Silicon wow. Valley. So Sunnyvale is the heart of Silicon Valley, that big mega um, Apple complex is just down the street from my house. Oh my goodness. And my mom was, um, um, is, uh, she worked before I was born, but focused on raising us, but she is the athlete of the family. Oh wow. So I am the product of an engineer and an athlete. And uh, so I became a neuroscientist who studies the effects of exercise on the brain. So yeah, perfect. (laughs) Put them both together. Yeah, exactly. And uh, are you close with your mom? I am. You are? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, Um, very close. I always like to know where people come from and what, what that vibe is. How many siblings? I have one younger brother. One younger brother. Yeah. What does he do? Um, he was an entrepreneur and, uh, the sad thing about last year, uh, is that we lost both my father and my younger brother. Oh my God. I'm so sorry. That's I'm so, okay. Oh God. It's okay. It's okay. Oh. I've 
come to peace with it. And um, it was it was the most awful thing I've ever gone through in my whole life. Oh my god! To lose them, I lost my. We lost our dad first. Eighty six. He had lived a full life. He had dementia at the time. Died of a heart attack, and it was sudden. And oh, it was felt so bad for my mom who was there when it happened. And my brother and my my brother was living in Shanghai at the time. I was living in New York. He got back faster than I did, so we were both there. We did the funeral. We did the memorial service. And wouldn't you know? Three months later, my brother, fittest guy you would ever know, also drops dead of a heart attack. Heart attack. It's we really don't have heart attacks in our family until now. Now they put it in the family, but he was um, fifty. He was fifty years old, and. The fittest person that you could ever see. You look at him and you say, oh my God, that, that guy works out. He looks really healthy. And he did. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it, it transformed my family. It helped get my mother, it brought my mother and I close. We were already close, but it's certainly brought us even closer. Um, yeah. Oh my God. So that's, that's my family. You are so strong. I'm sorry you had to go through that. That's uh, yeah. well, you know, it's everybody has to go through that at some point, and I think it's important to be more open about what. Oh yeah, what that is like, and um, for me, I've always had a fear of. You never know what to say. You know, to people, it's like, ooh, do I say anything or you feel bad that you brought it up? But it comes up, you know, it's like a totally normal question. What is your, you know, what does your dad do? What are your siblings? You certainly wouldn't expect that my, one of my siblings had, had passed away recently. Yeah. And so now I am much more open with and comfortable because I went through the process and you can't help it if it comes up, you just read and sometimes they're like it, like me. And other times, if you had asked me closer to the event, I might have cried. But but it's it's part of the process. Yeah. And um, it's part of that is just the acknowledgement of how um, how precious they were, and they bring up emotions. Yeah. And they bring up that loss, but also that joy at the same time that you're just sad that you don't have anymore. So yeah. I must be so proud of you. They must have been. They must be. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yikes. Sorry. Yeah. Ay. But we all, we all go through that loss. And uh, it, it also end up, ended up transforming um, the book that I happened to be working on at Is, the time. The first one or the second one? The second one. Tell us what that's So called. the second book uh, that is coming out in a few months is called Good Anxiety, Bad Anxiety. And so I was going to come at it from a perspective of a, neuro- of a neuroscientist and use something called brain hacks. So how do you hack anxiety? How do you flip kind of good anxiety, uh, bad anxiety to good anxiety? Yeah. So it was like a flip book. So great. Love that concept. And literally... Um, two weeks after my brother ended up passing away, I was going to have time to really dive in and figure out what that, what that was. And we had, a, we had a proposal and we had an outline and I worked with a wonderful co-author on this. Oh. Then my brother dies. Then my oh. brother dies. And, you know, I can't think, can't do anything for months. Uh, recovery, recovery, recovery. But part of that recovery was realizing that 
I have such a better understanding and perspective of how lucky I I am to have the people that are there, my mom, my cousins. Because now I know what it feels like to lose somebody, and I never knew what that felt like. And, um, And I realized that I had developed a superpower, a superpower of love. And it was because I had this challenge that never I'd never had before. And then I said, that's it. They, I'm not flipping anxiety. I want this book to be a transformation of bad anxiety into your superpower yeah. of everyday anxiety. And it was a completely different mindset that was inspired by... I had some anxiety. It was grief. I went through grief. But the principle is that what is challenging for you, for you in your life is the best lesson and even a superpower lesson. And I'm like, I just got a superpower lesson yeah. because I, I would not have been able to appreciate and love my friends, my family if I hadn't gone through that. And so what if I look at flipping anxiety that way. And so it turned into anxiety is your superpower. Yeah. yeah. And you reframe everything. I completely reframed it. I was so, I was excited about the first version, but I was super excited because it felt like I'm using part of that terrible, terrible experience yeah. um, and helping to share this principle that that actually your your ability to withstand everyday anxiety, you know what that's called? That is called resilience. Oh, yeah. You are resilient. You are not the person that's, oh, I can't handle it, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You got through it. Yeah. You are resilient. That is part of your grit. You're stronger how now. Do, how do, yeah. And so it's a reframing, but it is coming from the perspective that every challenge is going to one of your superpowers, what are you going to make it? There's gold in every single challenge. Exactly. Every time life gives you contrast, yeah. there is a yeah, a pearl of wisdom yeah. and a new way. Oh yeah, you're so right. So I was so excited about that idea. Yeah. And it still contains all the relevant neuroscience to help understand what's going on in your brain. Um, but but Yes, I'm Neuro- very excited. Neuroscience with heart. Neuroscience yeah. with heart. Thank That's you. So I'd great. love that. Did you dedicate it to your dad and your your yes. brother? I haven't gotten to write that part of the book yet because we're still um, editing, high level editing. Yeah. Um, but yes, that'd be really be funny dedicated. if you were like, no, yeah, no. I'm not dedicating yeah. it to them. No, to my dog. This is my book. No. I'm yeah. dedicating no. it to my dog. <laughs> That's it. Next question. Yes. Um, anyway, sorry. See, I like to deal with intense stuff with humor. Uh, yes, I can always yes. tell when I'm like super uncomfortable or something, like if I'm, if I'm in a fight with a, a friend or a boyfriend or yeah, whatever, yeah. I'm like, I'll be like uncomfortably smiling and then making making a joke. And uh-huh. I'm like, I, I'm not really thinking this is funny. It's just how I deal with yeah. you know uncomfortable stuff. But uh, oh my goodness. Well, now going from that to talking about when you were 25 pounds heavier and uh, <laughs> unhappy after you got all your dreams coming true seems bizarre, but we're going to go back there. Yeah. So, okay. So you, what did you do now? So you, you're like, I don't so, have friends. I want to go to the Broadway shows. Yeah, I want to go I'm, to the Broadway shows. I'm, and I'm still not happy and I'm I have everything I want. Ha- yeah. Isn't I, that I annoying? Tenure. That was my dream. Jeez. It's like, this is it? Yeah. I, how come I'm not ecstatically you're, happy? You're 32 at the time. I was 30 35. Something. Yeah, who cares? Uh, I, yeah, we're we're timeless. We're timeless. Yeah, it was it was yes. Yeah, and um, so that's when I said to myself, you know what? 
I don't know how to get new friends. That's hard. I do know how to get back in shape and lose this wheel around me, this this uh, mega muffin top oh that, that I'm experiencing <laughs> right now. And so that's what brought me to the gym. To the, okay, that all happened at once. You, that all happened at once. Got it. And all at the same time. And so then I start going into the gym and um, finding the joy in that. Yeah. And um, it took, it's not like, so after every workout, I felt empowered. I felt great. It was all those neurotransmitters and oh serotonin. Uh, but then something even more extraordinary happened, which was about a year and a half into my regular exercise r- routine. I had lost the 25 pounds. I looked great. I was a total gym rat. Yeah. I was feeling good. And I had more friends because I, I met friends at the gym. I was going there all the time. I saw all these people. And um, I was sitting in my office doing something that I have to do all the time, which is writing grants, NIH research grants. Boring. Just kidding. Difficult. <laughs> yeah, difficult. Difficult, difficult. I would say. Uh, um, and I realized uh, there was a thought that went through my mind that never went through my mind before. And that was, grant writing went well today. That, that was pretty good. I had never had that thought before. I'm like, oh my God, like, grant writing that? was good? <laughs> Where did that come from? Yeah. No, literally. I was like, this is weird. Maybe I'm just having a good day. I'm like, no. Actually, I, when I think about it, it's been getting easier. My writing sessions have been easier because I'm able to focus my attention deeper and longer. And my memory, which is what I'm studying in my own lab, is better. What the heck is going on? What's the only major lifestyle change did I make? I went to the gym. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, that this is powerful. I mean, when it starts to affect your major goal of your whole research program that is being able to write effective grants, you have to take that seriously. And that's when I started exploring the neuroscience of the effects of exercise on the brain. Yeah. And learning about what we knew at the moment, at that moment, seven years ago, what exercise can do for the brain. And you know what I discovered? It actually helps you grow brand new brain cells in the hippocampus, that structure that I was studying. I got it. it, Does it have to only be aerobic exercise? You have to get your heart rate up a certain amount? It can't just be like a casual stroll um, or a hike? um, The most information is known about getting your heart rate up. But what we do know is regular um, walking across a lifetime can protect your brain from dementia and aging. It can reduce your chances of getting dementia by about 30%, according to one study. Um, but it's a, it's a scale. So you can start with walking, and that is absolutely good. That will confer protection. Yeah. But the higher you go up, it seems, the more protection that you get. The higher your heart rate. The, the, the higher your heart rate gets, the okay. more fit you get. Um, you can measure this with cardiorespiratory function, or you can just do it, you know, uh, uh, just by noticing how how much longer you can work out, how how strong you are physically getting. So you're like, have this breakthrough. You're like, who? What is this new voice in my head? This positive voice. Yeah. Things are getting more easy for me. My Absolutely. memory's great. Wow. So you have that yeah. aha moment. I have that aha moment. Have you met Oprah, by the way? I feel like you I have. would love to meet Oprah. I feel like that's around the corner. I've met Gail. King. You have how? I have because I was on CBS this morning um, to promote my first book, Healthy Brain, Happy Life, yeah. which is the story. Basically, it's a memoir, the story that I'm telling you today. Oh, God. And so she was lovely. She came back to the green room three times before I actually got on set and she said, oh, I want to talk to you about this
this story, and I want to talk to you about your boyfriend in Paris, and I want to talk to you about this and this. And I was like, how long is this interview? Are we going to be like talking for three hours yeah. or something? She was adorable. Oh, and, my God. And I was so appreciative because all those questions meant that she read every word of my book. Yeah. And most of the hosts like that do not because oh. they don't have time. Yeah. But she read my book, and that was such... Such a wonderful compliment to me. Gail so, King read Gail, your book. Gail King read my book. Oprah's next. I Oprah's feel like Oprah's next. next. You got to be on her podcast. You I listen, know. Do you listen to her podcast? I love her podcast. Oh She's got two now, I think. But I, yeah. What do they call it? What's Super Soul Sunday. Super Soul Sunday. Yeah. So great. I yeah. Know. Unbelievable. I okay. So okay. you're having this moment. I'm having this moment, and I'm thinking this is fascinating. And an exercise I've now discovered stimulates the birth of brand new brain cells in the hippocampus. The more I learned, the more I wanted to study this. And okay, here's the other aha moment that happened. Um, At the same time that I'm noticing my focus is deeper and longer. My memory is better. Why? Because I think I'm building my own hippocampal cells in there with all that, all those workouts that I'm doing. And my brain, I feel great. My brain is working just over time. It's, It's great. Right at that moment, my father developed a sudden dementia. I was going to say, because you'd mentioned that, and I thought, okay. It was right at that moment, and it happened completely suddenly. He came home one day, um, driving home from trying to get to the 7-Eleven that he had gone to every afternoon for the last 30 years to get his afternoon cup of coffee. And he told my mom he couldn't remember how to get there. Oh, my God. And I knew as a neuroscientist that is not good. Yeah. Not good. Something was wrong with his hippocampus because the hippocampus is critical for spatial memory in particular. What is spatial memory? Spatial memory is memory for how to get to the Trader Joe's when you have to go, uh, you know, along getting around it's your mental gps basically what, what is the memory when you can't recall a a person's name that you, you that know. is called um declarative memory memory for facts and events why does that called? go um because the hippocampus is also critical for that and the hippocampus is first um vulnerable to both normal aging as well as dementia. Dementia is like a super fast normal aging that does even worse things. But oh but um, some of the first um, events, I mean, we all know if we have older people, they complain of senior moments. They can't remember that. They're in the middle of a conversation and they can't remember what they're about to say. I feel like I'm having those moments, but I don't know if it's Zoloft. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like anti- antidepressants or anti- anti-anxiety, a side effect can be. Do you think, have you heard that, that, that um, can affect memory? It can affect, yes, it can uh, affect certain forms of memory. That doesn't mean you have dementia or you're getting old. It's just, it's just a, a side effect, a yes. possible side effect. Yeah. Oh. And lots of things can do it. Lack of sleep can do it. Oh, yeah. You know. What about uh, uh, drinking water? That's a big important. Is that oh, important yeah. to memory? Very important is for it? overall, no, overall brain it's health. Your, okay. Yeah. yeah. So like, you can't link it specifically. Exclusive. It's important to drink water. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, wait, what is short-term memory? Short-term memory is... Sorry if this um, is like memory for dum-dums. No, but like, no. Everybody has these questions. Okay, good. Because the terminology is confusing. Yeah, I don't know what so, it is. So um, um, the best way to... Um, well, actually, the best way to illustrate short-term memory is something that we don't ever have to do anymore, which is to remember a phone number. 
between, you know, the yellow pages, if you're old enough to remember what the yellow pages were. Yeah. Um, I mean, no. um, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Was that yes or no? (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. Um, So remembering those seven digits um, in your working memory, it's called, um, which is uh, another word for short-term memory, um, is that immediate, it's also called scratch pad memory. Um, It's the memory that allows us to remember. And what you're illustrating a beautiful example of is keeping the interview on track. You have to remember uh, what we have just spoken about. And so you don't go back and re-ask me that question and come down, come back to after we have our shoe interlude, remember what we were talking about before. That is working or short-term memory. Oh, God, thank you. Oh my goodness, because I was, I've been like blanking on names lately and like little things or like, or what is it called when you are, when you go into your living room and you go into another room and you go, I totally forgot what I went in here for. You know yeah. those moments? What, yes. what is that memory? So that can be kind of in the middle of um, working memory, short-term memory, depends on how long ago. Working, you... I thought working memory it was short-term oh, memory. Oh, sorry. Uh, short-term memory and long-term memory. Oh my God, what's long-term memory? Long-term memory. <laughs> sorry, well then we'll move on. No, no. Um, long-term memory. Sorry, I didn't mean to confuse everybody How there. How dare you? Long-term memory is um, your ability to put all the things that are happening in the moment uh, into a more long-term s- store. So, you know, your memory for... Um, where you went last Christmas, who you spent last Christmas with. That's an example of a long-term memory. Um, but uh, um, even breakfast this morning, what did you have for breakfast? Can you remember what you had for breakfast this morning? Or if you had breakfast? I had a Cliff Bar and okay. a banana. Excellent. Yeah. Excellent. But Good if, long-term memory. That's long-term memory. That is long-term memory. But if I'm like, if I, right now, I say yeah. to myself, and I know this is a casual aside we're having, but if I go, uh, I got to go to the kitchen right now, I want orange juice. And then I get up, go to the kitchen, stand in the kitchen and go, wait, what did I want here? What yeah. is that? That is, that, is, that is, yes, that is the working or short-term memory. What affects that type of memory? Is there one thing, just sleep or is it, is it all connected or is that? It's all connected. If that's the one that's going, why that one? If you well, don't me both asking. go. Both this short-term memory and the long-term memory go. Why? Because short-term or immediate memory is dependent on the prefrontal cortex, and long-term memory is dependent on the hippocampus. And um, what's declarative though? You said declarative, declarative. is long term memory. Declarative is long term memory. Yes. Yeah, just memory different... for facts and events. Memories for facts and events. Declarative, aka long term memory. Excellent. So my scratch head memory is pretty much okay because I'm able to like track a conversation. Yes. Well, that's good. Yes. And also, do you strengthen that type of memory? Like if, I, if, I'm, if I'm constantly podcasting and, and having to track yes. a conversation, mm-hmm. does that strengthen that memory? Whereas, it does. Whereas like, but I'm not strengthening, strengthening the other types of memory. Right, right. But what you can strengthen, how you can strengthen the long-term memory is... Exercise. Exercise. Oh my exactly. God. You got it. I got to start exercising. Mm. I really do. I should go to the gym with the boyfriend, whatever, whatever his you name could, is. You could, but do something that you enjoy. Yeah. Do you like to dance? I do like to dance. Yeah, dancing, dance in your living room. Yeah. Dance, uh, like some go kind to of, dance class. Like some kind of Nancy Myers movie or something where the main character, I'm always like, no woman just dances in her living room by herself in her undies. And then I'll, I do. I, I did that one time not, not that long ago. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, yes, they do. They do. I'm doing it right now. Yes, yeah. Absolutely. And it feels great. It feels great. Yeah. And it is a, a true a workout. So my thing is I've uh, switched to online um 
workouts. Yeah. So because the, I can pick the 15-minute one, the 10-minute one, or the 45-minute one. Like on a YouTube thing? Yeah. So I use this company called um, Daily Burn, which gives you this huge range of different workouts that you can Sounds do. Sounds expensive. And um, it's whatever, uh, is it $15 free? a okay. month. All right. Which is totally doable. Sorry, this is not sponsored by Daily Burn or anything. It but should I do, be. It should be. Okay. But I do love this company. And... Um, um, I do it in my living room. Um, they have really motivating uh, fitness instructors. And then every once in a while when I want a live class, um, I will go take a dance class or some fun, you know, my, uh, rowing class or something. My mom takes dance classes. Yeah. And she's like in there and they're like teenagers or like 20-something, 30-somethings. My mom is like 61 years old. Yeah. And she loves it and she's had several strokes uh-huh. and this is so and it just makes her so happy her yeah. dance class and it strengthens her brain and yeah. her mind yeah she's so happy she's addicted I have another girlfriend Ileana mm-hmm. uh, around the same age she loves her dance because they are they seem addictive yeah. all that you know whatever the dopamine yeah. serotonin they are it combines both the movement that's increasing your serotonin and dopamine and remembering the moves yes, too remembering the moves is good coordination but the music also oh. can be very um, inspirational and bring oh. joy and reward and stimulate dopamine as well oh so just but not if I was listening in my bathtub. Does it have to be moving? Or does music uh, move, just help your? Yes, really music alone. So um, this is a study that I talked about. This Wonder of Woman event. There's a study that showed um, um, they brought people in um, and scanned their brains um, while they were listening to the music that they said gave them goosebumps. You know, every single time, and they found a correlation between the level of goosebumpiness that they got. And the amount of dopamine release in their brain. So the more moving music is for you, the more rewarding in the sense of more dopamine is being released. Even if it's a sad, slow song in your your or does it have to be an upbeat song? Because I wonder if I listen to so much moody, mm. dark Elliot Smith music or uh-huh. like emo, like emotionally heavy, kind of dark, gothy music. Yeah. If that does uh, it give you goosebumps? I don't know. It made me feel a certain... I was like, wow. Like It made me feel romantic and probably sad, though. Uh-huh. I probably listen to a lot of sad music, and mm. I wonder if that makes people sadder. I bet you it does. Oh, my God. I've got you on the couch. I'm going to... If you say it does, I bet it does, doesn't it? I bet you it does. But if I'm listening to Pink or like Selena Gomez, even though they're talking... I mean, this is just random examples. Um, Just the... What gives you goosebumps? Goosebumps. Yeah. I mean, um, do you know that piece, Carmina Burana? No. Very, it's it's a classical piece, but it's very powerful and moving. And that gives me goosebumps. Live music gives me goosebumps often. Okay. Goosebumps are usually attributed to being moved emotionally in a positive way. Yeah. All right, that's good. I'm going to no more sad tunes. Well, you no can more still like do that if you st- if you enjoy No it. more like suicidal bummer okay, like no, romanticizing. Suicidal. I mean, I'm not no, no I'm just okay. like that type of music, yeah, you know, yeah, like yeah. where it's like oh, oh, yeah. yeah. I'm going to stay away from that cuz I've got my own problems. But uh what are your feelings on if you're very into like an exercise and what it does for your brain and, and yeah. What are your feelings on antidepressants or do you not want to go there because maybe that's too much of a weird... Well, no. uh, What I can say is that uh, there are studies that have been shown that 
regular physical activity, aerobic activity, can be as effective as some of the most commonly used antidepressants in major depressive disorder. Okay. Why? Because it is stimulating serotonin. This is what antidepressants do. And um, exercise, the, the main difference that they saw is that the pill could give you a, a faster release of, uh, faster effectiveness. Of serotonin. Um, of serotonin. Like that's what SSRIs do, right? Exactly. Okay. And uh, exercise will do it. It'll take a little bit longer to get that going. But of course, it's natural. Yeah. It's all natural. There are no side effects unless you sprain your ankle yeah. or something like that. And, um, you know, I know so many people because of the books that I write, people come up to me all the time and say, I regulate my mood. I already know. I, I'm, I'm, you're preaching to the choir. I loved your message because I know how much my regular dance class or my regular gym going is directly affecting my mood. Um, so yes, I believe that. Um, did you know that doctors in Europe can prescribe exercise outside walking for depression? Really? They cannot do that. They're not medically allowed to do that in the United States. Really? Really. Because the pharmaceutical companies just run everything kind of, or because there's so much money in, in pushing those pills? There, there, that is not an option that is available wow. to physicians in this country, even though oh. it makes so much sense. And so what you have to do is you prescribe it to yourself. You really just have to understand that science yeah. and say... You know, maybe I don't want to be on antidepressants for the rest of my life. Let's let's not ignore that. I'm not telling anybody ignore your doctor. Add it in. See what what uh, a power walk can do. Yeah. Can it help? You know, bolster the effects of your of your antidepressants. Um, um, it won't give hurt. It a try. Yeah, it's uh, self experimentation. Yeah. I, I really support that idea. Definitely in in different cultures, like you know, uh, you know, my my boyfriend. Not to keep saying my boyfriend, my boyfriend, my boyfriend, but he's British, and there's huh? such a you know, there's a cultural difference where mm. it's like they don't really talk about antidepressants. Mm. There, it's like they keep it on the like people take them, but it's real hush hush because uh-huh. it's not a like therapy is not like you know people will go to therapy, but that's just a culture that doesn't like to yeah. uh, talk about like mental health and yes. all these things. Yes. But, uh, well, isn't that what Prince Harry is all about? Oh, is he? Yes. What is he saying? Because he suffered from depression after his mother died in such a public way. Oh, wow. And I think one of his, in fact, I think he is, is partnering with Oprah to talk about mental health in a more open way for the UK, in, for the UK, and what are they talking about? Like antidepressants, uh, therapy, physical therapy. Oh, yes. therapy. Oh, therapy, wow. What therapy is doing? Um, so, have you seen those ads? Michael Phelps, you know the um, yes the swimmer. Yeah, he's on those ads saying, "Look." Therapy helped me. I wouldn't be where I am today if I didn't have therapy. So trying to get get the stigma get, away. Get rid of that stigma. Yeah, yeah I, I love that. that. so great. Me too. Yeah. Oh, God. Look at us here. Just, you know, getting rid of the stigma and talking about Prince Harry. I, I had no <laughs> idea that he was doing that. Yeah, it was just recent. I, I read it, I don't know, someplace, very well, recently. Very, oh my God, you can't remember. I can't What's remember. What's that about? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't believe it. Exclusive. <laughs> Exclusive number two. No, um, 
well, okay. I don't want to miss any beats, but I, I don't want to like skip over anything because I know we're, I was, we're tracking this one part of your life and the story and, and yeah. what you're discovering. You're making friends. You're at the gym. But, yeah. when, but when did the books come to be? The first book, the second book. And yeah. I do want to get into the fact that like you did some kind of like one woman show. Oh, cabaret. Yeah. Is it what you call it? A cabaret or a one woman show? science nightclub. I did it. I did my first solo performance on the stage at a science nightclub in New York City called Caveat. It was January 15th, 2018. Oh my God. Just a year ago. Yeah. Oh my, a little over a year ago. A year and a half. You were just, do you have like a a list of things to do in your life that you want to accomplish that you're just like just checking off every single day? Oh yeah, yeah. I love that. Well, uh, how should we uh, approach this? How should we unpack your life story? Because when did the book come to be? And I don't want to miss anything. So, so yeah, the book leads into the show because the show is based on the book. On the book. On the first book. So when you started to, uh, what's the word? Not self-actualize. Transform. uh, Transform. When when you like when you got everything you wanted and then realized you still weren't happy. Yeah. Shedding the weight, Mm -hmm. you're becoming a gym rat, you're making friends, you're living your life, you're just like really finding yourself, getting grounded in who you are and finding your happiness, realizing that like, wow, I can't believe it exercises is like transforming me mentally. This is insane, not only physically but mentally and whatever. So you go from there and then Anything I need to know between there and the book? Like, what what were these? Yeah, so that was a very transformative period for me, not just in the weight and um, and getting interested in this new area of research, but um, are we okay? Yes, we are. Keep okay. going. Just checking the video. Yes, um, but uh, it led to a realization of maybe I want to study this as my main question. And by this point, I had that discovery of, you know, neurons forming a new memory. And um, so I had tenure and I was promoted to full professor. But then I thought, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to study the effects of exercise because it seems so powerful, so transformative. And um, so I was grappling with that. Could I change my research area? I had a 20-year reputation in this other area. Oh, my God. And it was very scary as a full-grown grown-up, like already in this area, to say, never mind, I want to try something else. But you have to do that sometimes or else you just stuck. to do it. Yes. Living in fear. Yes. Yeah. So, so there was a lot of fear during that because... Um, because I, I had just gone through this period of not having friends and having friends, literally the thought that went through my mind is, I won't have any more science friends anymore because I don't know anybody in this other area. Oh. And all my friends, you know, my colleagues that I've had for 20 years yeah. that I see at all the meetings and so I have people to schmooze and go out to dinner with, yeah. I won't be going to those meetings and I won't see them anymore and I'll be lonely. And so that was... Well, it takes <laughs> us back to the beginning, the beginning of the conversation when I was asking you, what are you afraid yeah. of? So, okay, that was a moment and that's like justified yes. when yeah. you're scared. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then the, that was mitigated by positive thoughts that this exercise thing is amazing. Look at how much it's transformed my life. And now um, I, uh, so in the middle there, I developed a new undergraduate course oh to God. teach 
uh, to learn more about the effects of exercise on the brain. You developed it and then you just started teaching it. Yeah, because that's what we have to do anyway. It's incredible. Yeah. Um, and so usually you do it on the area that you do research on, but this was one I wanted to learn this area, and the best way to learn about it is to develop a new undergraduate course on it, because then I would have to teach all the undergraduates and force me to learn it. Wow. And so this course was called Can Exercise Change Your Brain? And um, I decided that I wanted to do something different, that um, I didn't just want to tell them about all the studies of the effects of exercise. I wanted them to experience exercise. I wanted to bring exercise into the classroom. It just turns into a hip-hop class. That's what it is. It does. It does. I ended up... First, I asked my department, can I hire... A, a, a fitness instructor so that they come and start the whole class off with exercise and then I will teach them about what exercise just did to their brain. They probably will right. retain more info. Exactly. Yeah. And the department said, uh, no, we, we pay you to teach. No, there's no extra money for another teacher to help you teach. Those small-minded jerks. Yes. Yeah. And so I said, okay, well, if you're not going to pay for an exercise instructor... I'll go to the gym myself and become certified as an exercise instructor. Oh, so that's why you did that. That's why I did that. Oh, my God. And my department paid because I was doing it in the context of teaching a new class. I love this. So So I went and I did... Oops. No, you're fine. Okay. Hold on one second. Okay. I just want to make sure that in case it dies, we have that. All right. Okay. So you went and you did. I went and I did teacher training to teach intensati at the gym. It's five day teacher training, but you can't just immediately start teaching because it's it's complicated. You have to cue the movements, you have to cue the affirmations, and stay on beat and give them enough time to do it. And um, that takes a lot of practice. So I literally practiced after those five days for six months. And I invited all my friends over to my house to give them a one-on-one intensati session. And I just practiced and practiced and practiced. And of course, at the same time, I was developing the academic part of the class. The curriculum? For the-, the curriculum of the class. I just wanted to know, let you know that yeah. I knew I yes, know the word curriculum. curriculum. Yes, that's really a good cool. word. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> <laughs> this is uh, much that I know here, but keep going. Yeah. <laughs> and so, I, um, so I'm training. My cat knows how to do intensati because I'm doing it by myself. You have a cat? Apartment. I have a cat. Oh, my yeah, goodness. Pepper. Oh, Pepper. Pepper knows how to do intensati. He's I, great. I love cats. Yes. So you're a cat love, person. I'm a cat and a dog person. Oh, you have a dog too? I don't because my building doesn't allow dogs, yeah. but I love dogs. I yeah. love all animals. I do too. Yeah. I keep going. So I, six months later, I walk into the classroom and there's three things that are different. Number one, I'm clad head to toe in Lululemon because... I have to teach an exercise class, and I usually do not go to lecture in my Lululemon. I have a lot of it, but I don't lecture in it. But that day, I I had to go to class in Lululemon. Number two, I was very nervous, and I don't get nervous because this was 15 years into my lecturing. I don't get nervous lecturing in front of students, but I'd never taught an exercise class to... Very, very particular NYU undergraduates. How old are they? What's the age we're dealing with uh, here? They were juniors and seniors. They are 20 years old. Oh, scary. Yeah. Those it was scary. Yeah. So I was very nervous. Yeah. And the third thing was the students themselves. So first day of fall semester, they might be a little bit nervous, you know, don't know what's going on. These students look scared. <gasps> 
because they saw me in my Lululemon. They're like, wait a second. Ah! I have to sweat with you, but you're Professor Suzuki. Oh my God. You mean you're going to see me sweat and I'm going to sweat with you and we're ah! going to sweat together? How vulnerable. That's what was going through their br- brains. And I saw them looking at the door and there was nervous laughter all around. That's so funny. It was hilarious. But there was nervous laughter on their part. And there, they didn't know. I was terrified. Oh. I, did, I, I didn't want... I, I was terrified because I wanted them to love this class, like yeah. really love this class. And so I was having all these expectations. And this was, it wasn't the first time I taught. Of course, I practiced a lot. But it, they were, this was Ooh. opening night on Broadway oh my God. for, you know. Professor Suzuki. Yeah. <laughs> Dr. Suzuki. Wow. And so I was like, okay, can't. The only way I know it's going to work is if I actually start. So I started. And I cannot tell you how that classroom became transformed by us sweating together, by us saying silly but empowering affirmations together. And I made them shout so loud that people in the administrative office would come over to see what the heck is going on in Professor Suzuki's classroom. This is cool. And then then I was scared that I was going to be so tired I wouldn't be able to teach the class afterwards because I was teaching the exercise class. But it empowered me so much. And I got this great quote by one of the students in the class. And she said, you know, all my other 9 a.m. classes, I'm clutching my Starbucks class cup. But in this class, I remember everything so well, I don't even have to take notes. And I'm like, oh, thank you. I love hearing that. Do you still teach this class? Um, I've taught it twice. And then we ran out of space at NYU for a large, because I need enough room for 20 to 30 kids to be both exercising and then, and then we need less space for the no academic taking. classroom. Yeah. And we had a space crunch, and we're in the in the um, in the phase of construction space right now. Space crunch. NYU had a space crunch. We did. It's, yeah. a little, it's, it's, it's a lot of money for a space crunch. Yes, I know. These it kids is. are paying. I mean, let them they live. They are. They are. Let them loose. Right. Let them live. Let them loose. <laughs> let them dance in Professor Suzuki's class. Uh, that's right. Come on, that's give right. Give us some space. Well. Okay. Oh my God. Yeah. So you come up with this curriculum. Yeah. And then you write the book. And then I realize that is part of the exercise that helps me realize how powerful exercise really is. And I realized that this is a a lesson that everybody can get and benefit from right now. So that was the first time in my life that I thought, I have a topic that I want to write a book about. I want to share this in book format. And so it had everything. It had it had um, uh, the birth of a new memory. It had gaining 25 pounds. It had going to the gym. Oh. It had my trip to Peru. It had um, my my mentor who inspired me to be a neuroscientist in the first place, who uh, was Marion Diamond at UC Berkeley. Yeah, we didn't even talk about her we yet. We didn't talk what? about her, but she was in there too because yeah. she made me want to become a neuroscientist just like her. Because um, and and she was the one who first discovered that exercise and what she called environmental enrichment, giving rats uh, the Disney world of rat cages to live in actually changed their brain. And the thing that ended up changing their brain the most was exercise. So she was the founder of this whole idea. And I studied with her as an undergraduate at Berkeley. 
Oh my goodness. Wait, so the, the space in which they exist in and their exercise yes. makes them happier. Well, she wanted to study environmental enrichment. Could the environment change the brain? Oh. And this was in the 60s. Nobody thought the adult brain, rat or human, could change. And so she gave them a wonderland of rat cages to live in. And she showed that the brain actually got thicker. The outer covering got thicker. And that was the first demonstration that the brain could actually change. People can change. People can change. The brain can change. And nobody believed it. This was in the 60s. She was the very first PhD in anatomy and physiology. I'm sorry, in neuroanatomy at UC Berkeley. The first female one ever. Wow. And so she had to go present this work in front of a whole bunch of white men. Nobody ever had ever shown that before. And she says that she remembers the first time that she presented it. Man from the back said, excuse me, young lady, that brain cannot change. What an asshole. Yes. If you don't mind me saying And so. she said, excuse me, we saw it in the first one and we reproduced it. And we saw the same exact thing in the second experiment. The brain does change. Good for her. And that is the role model that I had. Oh, my God. To become a neuroscientist. That is incredible. Yeah. Have you, you know, you're a woman. I'm a woman. Uh, what, is your, what is your background for my listeners? It's an auditory thing. I am thing. Japanese American. Japanese American. Yes. What have you, I mean, have you come up against any difficult situations being a woman? <laughs> uh, okay. I know. Okay. Oh, you're like, God. what? Wait, how long is this podcast? So, you know, we were it was going to go an hour and a half <laughs> tops. It got tw- it took twelve more minutes, but uh, yeah, yeah. And, yes, and also, okay, yes, and also not being a white woman, like a yeah. white, you know, a Caucasian Minority woman in science. Has that been? Yeah, yeah. Any it is because, any highlights? I'm sorry. Okay. <laughs> no, any any fun stories of, uh, you know. Well, let me tell you my most inspiring story. Okay, that is the one I like to tell. Um, when I, I stood up for myself in a way that I was really, really proud for. And that was, um, I was on a committee to try and choose the nominee for best teacher in our department. And um, there were both women and men on this smaller committee. And the names that got tossed out by both women and men were two younger men in the department. They were fine. But the whole time... I kept thinking, I am a better and more um, seasoned teacher than both these two guys that are being mentioned. Nobody, nobody mentioned. I, w- I was at the meeting, which is slightly awkward, but you know, we're supposed to be taking the broad view. And so nobody mentioned me. There are these two guys, and we we decided on one. Okay, okay, and I didn't quite have the courage to say, hey, what about me? Yeah, well, that is an awkward <laughs> thing to say, yeah. So then, you. but then I went back to my office and I said, you know what? Women need to know how to speak up with themselves, right? Here is a perfect example. Wendy, what are you going to do? So I composed a whole email <gasps> saying, dear colleagues, I realized that in fact... I am a strong candidate for this because we want somebody from our department that has both experience, great reviews, and you know innovative classes like Can Exercise Change Your Brain, for example, yes. which is a one and only class in the country, uh, if I do say so myself. 
And therefore, so I, I laid it out as if I would lay it out for anybody else, if I was nominating somebody else. And so I said, um, so, so what do you think? These, I, I think that I should be considered as a candidate. Yeah. Finish the email. Reread it. Okay, no typos. No typos. And then I'm sitting there staring, and my little finger is above the send key. Oh, my key. God. You're scaring me. Do I send this to my colleagues saying, nominate me? Or do I send it to my colleagues saying, I am the best nominee for this department in this area. Come on. I'm your best teacher. And so, of course, I sent it. It was hard to press that button, but I sent it. Yeah. And I give that story as the example of what you do need to do as a woman in neuroscience because it is true there is unconscious bias from women are the names that come up for the prizes, for the nominations, for the um, uh, directorships, for the awards... And you have to both support other women as a woman, and you have to say, God damn it, I am the best nominee for that. Yeah. Even if you're the only one that's going to say it, and not be embarrassed or shy or, ooh, I'm just, you know, ooh, I can't do that. Are you doing an impression of me? Because that's no, what I do. No, no, I'm, just, oh, I, I'm making a joke at my own expense because <laughs> I, I do that. Oh. Yeah. Is it okay? Am I allowed? Are you mad at me? Yeah. yeah. No. It's, well, it's ridiculous. I can tell you that I felt so empowered, and it's like this is not this is my duty to do this as an example to other women, because I am just nominating a great woman for a prize that she deserves. It happens to be me this time, but guess what? I'm going to do it for another woman. Yeah. And I am often I have all women panels. Do you know what a panel with all men is called? The world? A mantle. A mantle! Oh, God, I love it! A mantle! <laughs> so I'm all about no more mantles. No more mantles. And female panels. Why? Not just 50-50. Why can't we have a panel full yeah. of female experts in an area? And I am all about that. Um, and I get that from the example that I saw as, as my undergraduate mentor. She was there. She was alone. But wow. she was like a rock star. I mean, I literally saw her as a rock star. And sometimes you have to stand up as a rock star. You might not feel like a rock star. Yeah, it's scary. And people might say, oh my God, that Wendy, she thinks she's so smart. And you have to say, I don't care. I am stand, this is how you have to stand up for yourself, for other women. And, um, and if you are not willing to, to stand up for what you are best at, Nobody else is going to do it. You're so right. Yeah. And just like you had your mentor, she was a badass rock yes. star to you. And also you saw her doing this thing and it, to you it meant, I mean, uh, oh, I can do that too. Exactly. You know, when you see another woman doing something really powerful, you go, oh, wow, maybe I could. Right. And that's so important because so often I know that when I would look up to people, whether it's like a, I don't know, a host or a comedian or yeah. a writer or a director or whatever, and I, I'd look, I'd look to, I look up to men and I yeah. go... 
wow, that's what I want to do. And I would always like see men and I didn't see as many women. Right. Like it would just be few and far between. Right. You know, I do love Oprah. I love Cher. I yes, love these powerful, yes. badass women. Right. But so, but now it's so exciting because, and it's so crazy. It's 2019. It's like 2019, 2019. but only now it feels like, yeah, it's like, oh, people are being brave and standing up and saying, they're telling their stories and right. being like over here, you know, like. And there's another model to do it. It's not like we have to become men yeah. to do this. There is a different leadership model in women. Oh, yeah. And we have to learn to embrace that. We have to learn how to make it work with all the men that are already in power in leadership positions. And not all of them. I mean, many of them are, are sympathetic and they are welcoming, um, but not all of them are. And you have to be able to be creative and find a way to make that work. And sometimes say, hey, actually, my way is better than yours. We're doing it my way because I happen to be chair of this committee right now. Yeah. Yeah. What happened? Did you get it? Were they like, hey, how dare you? Were they, were they receptive? What was, what was their response to it? Were any of them like, how dare I know. You? Well, that was my fear. Yeah. That is like, uh, that they would say, no, I don't think you deserve it. Oh, yeah. So my fear was that they would say, no, I don't think you deserve it. And I got a mixture. Um, one said, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize you hadn't been nominated. Yes. Um, others said, uh, that's fine. But a third said, I still like the other guy. Let's put you up together. Oh. The other guy got dropped later because it was clear I'd been here so much longer hey. and my all the reasons that I, I had yeah. outlined, but it, it got, it was, yeah, it was maybe perhaps a, sa- a face-saving way to say, well, we also had a good suggestion as well. Yeah. Um, ego. Yeah. So, so um and the bottom line is, did I get it? No, I didn't get it. But you stood That's up not for the yourself. point. That's not the for point. myself. I'm sorry. And I deserve, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like, Alexi, I think you're missing the point. I'm like, what? <laughs> but uh, did you win or not? I uh, No, no. The whole point is that you stood up for yourself. Yes. And you're strong. Yeah. And you're setting an example for other and, women. To yeah, and I deserve that nomination. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the thing. You can't win it if you're not nominated. And if only the men come up in, in people's minds, including women. Yeah, no, that happens all the time where yeah. I've got like an inner misogyny thing yeah. where I'm like, oh yeah, f- uh, what is it? The male, whatever. The, yeah. the male gaze, internalized male gaze in me, you mm. know, where it's like, and so I have to go, wow, my God, because we are taught with like, you know, through pop culture and movies. And, right. You know, everything is just so masculine. Right, or the leader leaders is are men. masculine. Yeah, and then I'm like, oh yeah, that's how I think of other women too. And I'm like, wait a minute, I am a woman. Yes. I can't believe this, this yeah. internalized misogyny or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's so uncomfortable. You have to look at yourself and, right. like, and, and see that. Some people are just sleepwalking and they don't even look mm-hmm. at themselves. Like, yeah. 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 So, um, Why yes, I? there has been challenges um, all along. There's always a challenge for a minority. And women are minorities in science. Yeah. And, um, and so for a long time, I just ignored it. I said, I'm not a minority. I, I always thought I deserved it. But then I started becoming aware of all the problems that are inherently there because I was a minority. And um, some of them are, are you're ignored. And some of them are you're asked to do more committee work because they need a woman. I need you. Not for my brain, my yes. intellect. You're a woman. I need a woman on my committee because they told me I only had a mantle. Yeah. So I, I need to get rid of my mantle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, so you're like, yeah, you're filling uh, yeah, a quota or something. Exactly. Where it's like, oh, yeah. Oh, God. 
Yeah. I was told that once for a job application, a faculty job application, they said, um, you know, we're really interested in you because you know what? There's too many men on our department and so we really need you. I'm like, thank you for the compliment for my jeans. I I don't, okay. Yeah. It was... uh you you need a course in public relations for your <laughs> yeah position there because that didn't get me you didn't grab me there I, yeah I was told something really crazy and offensive and bizarre and just like just I was it was years and years and years ago I was in it I was cast in a commercial yeah and somebody volunteered the information I wasn't even asking I was just happy to have been cast this is yeah. great and they're like oh yes Alexi. No, this is what the person said, not me. Yeah. But uh, they're like, oh, yeah, you fill the Asian-Caucasian gap because at, at if they show me for a second uh-huh. with, my, with my haircut, my pale skin, my dark hair, if you see my profile, uh, you can check off like having a Caucasian person in the commercial and an Asian person because they said I, I looked so... I was like, uh... Okay, because it's it was just ridiculous. Because <laughs> so much, and it's just such a weird thing. Because you know, advertising, it's like, yeah, it's a whole. It's just like a weird, sick world where it's like, I don't know. It's a lot of politically incorrect yes, stuff yes. where they want to make sure they market to everybody, and then they're just just so like just gross. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But uh, and I burned every residual check I got from that commercial. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, anyway, um, okay, you write. The first book. I read the first book. It's a memoir. And we didn't even get to talk about your Parisian love affair. Oh, yeah. My Parisian love affair. We got to talk about that. But then the second book comes along. We were, we were talking about that yeah. a, a moment yeah, ago. Yeah, we talked about that. But we, then we had a good conversation so, about that. So I want to know about your who this... You said your French boyfriend. Yes. That's what, you know, that's what Gail King was coming in to ask you about. That's right. The French boyfriend. Yeah. Where does he fit into your life story? And then also... Your one-woman show, how that came about, that was in in January. Well, I can talk about both of those together. Do it. Because that French boyfriend was the beginning and end. He bookended my one-woman show called Memories First Kiss. Yeah. And it starts out with... me wanting to go, being this you know science nerd at UC Berkeley, um, uh, mesmerized by Marion Diamond, my mentor, my neuroscience mentor. But I'd always been fascinated with French culture and that little French bistro, and wearing little berets and the yeah. little red kerchief around your neck, yeah. and, and you know the little black dress and everything. And I just thought the French language was so beautiful. Uh, and I had been studying French since I was in middle school. And um, I thought I spoke French pretty well until I got to France and yeah. nobody could understand me. <laughs> yeah. But I learned very quickly and I, have to, I had to take all of my classes in French. So that really improved my French very oh, quickly. Sweet. So while you were in college... I did my third year abroad. abroad. Okay. And I took all of my science courses in French. Oh, my God. Yeah. So Masochist. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, you know, all the words, like physiology. Ooh. Guess what that is? Physiology. physiology? Oh, yeah. Amazing. Nailed it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. 
I, I aced that one. Okay. Well, so, oh, wow. Um, so you learn quickly. And having, yeah. a, having a French lover helps yes. learn the language. Well, but, but you tell did. me that. Yeah. Yes. So then, oh, so here I, I was staying with uh, this family. So I lived in, in the bedroom of the house of a family. Like Bart Simpson. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway. Okay. Sorry. And I asked for this family to have a piano because I was playing the piano a lot. So they had a piano in the bedroom. And Madame Merle, the, the matriarch of the family, asked me to stay, be at home one afternoon because she was having the piano tuner come to tune the piano that's in my bedroom. So I'm waiting there. I'm waiting for this little old French grand-père with the white hair to walk up the stairs to my bedroom and instead walks up this young, hot French piano tuner named Francois. Oh, piano tuners have to be strong too. Yes. My, my uncles, uh-huh. my mom knows how to tune pianos oh, yeah. because uh, my German family has a whole piano company. Oh. Th- their last name is Knauer and uh-huh. their company is called Clav- Clavier Knauer because Clavier is piano. I think and- I know that. Oh Are you God. serious? Yes. And so like my uncle Jed and Benny and my mom, they all tune pianos, but they also deal pianos. But uh Wow. Yeah, the whole piano tuning family. It's crazy. My grandfather did that. So anyway, so it's fun, funny you dated a piano yeah, tuner. I dated a piano tuner. It was too hard for my mom to do it. It was so strenuous. But anyway. She yes. Was, go on. So anyway, I, you know, expecting grandpère, hot French. I just arrived in France. Oh. I'm like, bonjour. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was the day that I learned that I could flirt in French. Oh, really God. well because I left with his card, and he le- he also worked at a music shop yeah. in downtown Bordeaux. And so I took the bus a few days later, and I met him, you know, right at the closing time. Oh, do you want to go out for dinner? Oh, yes, I do. And so soon after, we were a couple. Oh my God! And um, <clears throat> we just spent. So my French was impeccable after that because he was very, very proud. The Bordelais, the people from Bordeaux, are very proud of their food, their wine, and their culture. And he and he didn't speak English. So I was forced to speak French, and he would correct me nicely, but because he wanted me to speak proper French. Yeah. And that helped. And then I would go to school, and I would have to listen to the French professor's lecture about physiologie anatomie en français and that was that was what what I did and so my french got really good wow and so we had this love affair and i would go to his apartment and study every afternoon and wait for him to come home from all the pianos he was tuning and i would listen to um, this record uh, which was yo-yo ma playing box solo cello suites. I would play that over and over and over because I love the cello. And we would play piano. We would play duets on the piano. You play together. piano I too? Do, well, because I had a piano. And what don't you do? <laughs> I can't believe it. She speaks French, plays piano, is a scientist, a professor. Unbelievable. Okay. All right. Stop bragging. Keep so we, we would play these duets and it just, you know, just how romantic it yeah, was. I know. I'm totally sucked in. As here. my first real boyfriend, as a junior in college, was wow. Francois. He was my first real boyfriend. Was he? he was it? Was he your first kiss? Um, no, not my I first know, kiss. I'm none of my but business. my first boyfriend. Wow. And um, so the most romantic thing that we did is uh, we would go to the the big piano store that was in downtown Bordeaux. His boss owned it, and they would store the concert grand pianos in the store. And there was one Steinway and one Busendorfer. And we would go in and play our piano duets on the concert grand pianos that all of the major piano 
you know, uh, classical stars would play on. So, wow. you know, Maurizio Pollini and Michiko Uchida, all the classical stars played on those pianos that we were playing on and yeah. we played really loud and it was just this very French, very romantic thing that oh we my. would do. So he's like an incredible piano player, he right? Is, he, he plays by ear and it was so hilarious because his favorite group, guess what his favorite group Spice was? Spice Girls. The Beach Boys. Oh, really? I and love God so Only Knows. He was, he was thrilled that his girlfriend was Californian. He would call me Californian. My, uh, mon, mon petit ami Californian, oh uh, who was Asian. Yeah, I was very exotic oh, in oh, France very because cool. I was Asian, yet I didn't speak Japanese. And I was from California, the mythical land on the other side of the world from France. And he was in love with the Beach Boys, who came from California, yeah. so I had to know them, right? Yeah. And <laughs> Oh my God. And you don't speak Japanese. I don't speak Japanese. I'm third generation. So my grandparents came. My parents, uh, you know, were born here, both of them. And so we we lost it. Yeah. And and I, besides, I thought French was much more romantic than Japanese. Yeah. And so anyway, we had this uh, totally romantic relationship. And the most romantic thing that he ever did for me was Christmas that year. I'm spending it with him and his family and I met them all and they were so sweet. And so under the tree that year was a present for me from Francois and it was a cello. He bought me a cello because I was listening to Yo-Yo Ma playing the Bach cello suites all the time, and he bought me a really ch- a real cello. Oh, my God. Which was literally the most romantic thing ever because I didn't know even how to play the piano. And so... Wait, the piano or the, I, the cello? cello. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know how to play the cello. Yeah. And so then we start playing, and we have a friend that could teach me, and so we, I was playing... We're starting a band together. <laughs> yeah, Unbelievable. Exactly. Yeah. The classical, you know, improv, mm-hmm. piano, cello band. Yeah. And then I had to leave. Oh, my and God. And we swore lifelong allegiance because we were, you know, Wendy and Francois, and we were going to be together forever. How long was this relationship from a year? Met, a year. A year. Oh my god! You met him right away. I right, met him right away. Wow. Like okay. Right after I moved Jesus. there, because she was just getting the piano tuned. That first, you know, she got it tuned right after I moved in, not three months later. And a year so, is deep. Anyway, yes, it was an amazing year. And then I got back to the United States, and we had planned he was going to come, and we were going to find a way to be together. And then I got back to school, and I realized. I really wanted to, um, I really wanted to study science in graduate school in the United States. So this was before the takeout and the twenty-five pounds. Oh, years before this years was undergrad, before. right? Undergrad. The end of undergrad, and the takeout was when I was a faculty member. Oh. So I had to go to graduate school. I had to do a postdoc. I had to get hired. Got then it. I had to work for tenure, and then Jesus. you get to the twenty-five pounds. I'm exhausted just hearing all these things you have to do. Okay, okay. so so you're, yeah. you're like, I want to study science. Yes. You've got your mentor, you love her, you're like, look at this rock star, exactly, oh my God, yeah. Francois, she said, the come rock study star. science, come study oh science. Oh my God. And then I realized that what is a piano tuner who can't speak English, what, that, what is that going, what, what is going to do if he comes here? I'm going to graduate school. I'm going to focus on that. And so... I called him one day to break up. Oh my god! And I was not good at it. I was so mean. And you were mean. I was well because Can we do a role he got play? so mad. Okay. 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 Uh, I'll be Fran- Francois. Okay. Okay. Ring. 
Hmm. Cut. Cut. Okay, we gotta okay, do it again. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> okay, okay. okay I'll, I'll say. I'll say hello. I'll be friends. Ring. Bonjour. François. C'est moi. C'est Wendy. Comment ça va? Euh, ça va bien. Yes, voiceover stars. I'm pretty good. So, so Francois, you know, I'm calling today because I realized something really important. Oh, we? Oui? And I had to tell you. I realized that I, I really have to go to graduate school. There's just, I, I really... Quoi? I, yeah. <laughs> I said, I really have to go to graduate school. And I, I don't think that we could, you know, continue because I, I'm, I'm applying, I'm going to go, and, you know, I, I, I'm sorry, but... Pourquoi pas? Okay. But now this is where you have to get really mad. You get oh, really I get mad. mad? Yes. <laughs> this is all my friends that I know. <gasps> um, wait. Uh, uh, like but, angry and hurt. But, you get angry this, and hurt. Is this German? Vot fair food? Or is that yes, that's Russian. Oh, no, I mean oh. French. Okay. Okay. Anyway, I'm upset. Is what yeah. you said. <laughs> Fuck and you. And I said, what? <laughs> How could you be upset? I just explained to you my perfectly wonderful reason. How could you have any problem with that? You're so logical. You're like the masculine energy in it. I know. This is Alexi, I am, not Francois. But I don't know. And I've never... You're my first boyfriend. So you're my... This is my first breakup. And I don't know what to do. And you got mad. And I got mad. And then we both hang up the phone. Yeah. And that's it? And then I I'm didn't. Alexi again. And then I didn't speak to him for 30 years. No! Yes. Oh, and then you had your before sunset, before sunrise moment after you write a book and do a one woman show. Yes, and he comes to see the Not show even before the show. No, he didn't go after to the, the book? show. But what I did is during, like, as in the middle of writing the book, um, I had a feng shui moment. So, oh, I had a breakup, really bad breakup with another person. With another person, who's that bonehead? Just uh, kidding. No disrespect. Somebody who cares? Somebody in New York. Yeah, uh, but. It had been quite a while as going out, and it was just very traumatic. And so I had my friend, the feng shui expert, come to my house to help me feng shui. This was before Marie Kondo, so yeah. it was feng shui. I didn't even watch that show. I should, but whatever, yes. Yeah. And so she went through all of my apartment and said, um, we realized how much stuff I had from old relationships, that knickknacks and stuff. And she said, let's try and see what it feels like if you take those things off your shelf and off your you know walls. And so it started feeling so good. Taking this stuff off. Yeah. Do you want this as a reminder of bad boyfriend number five? Uh, no, I don't. So I took yeah. it off, took it off. So I'm going through the whole house and I'm feeling better and she's, you know, she has the the sage and, and stuff. Yeah. And she's giving me a blessing. She has bells from Bali that I she's love bringing. it. Bali bells. Bali bells. And <laughs> then we get, then we get to my walk-in closet and I open the closet and way in the back is Francois is my cello <gasps> and she said what's that and I said oh that came from an old boyfriend too and of course we were getting rid of every single thing she said oh well what do you want to do with it and I said and I started to cry because I I couldn't it's a cello you can't just get rid of a cello they're expensive and so then I told her the whole story and she said that it is very revealing that that this source of negative energy in your apartment is in your walk-in closet, in your bedroom, Wendy. Oh, wow. What are you going to do about it? What are we going to do about this? And I said, oh, I don't know. And I said, I 
know what I'm going to do because I hadn't played it by that point in 10 years. And I said, I'm going to donate my cello to children who need cellos in youth orchestras. And that will make me feel good. Oh, damn it. That's okay. I knew I should have stopped it. Oh, fuck. I didn't do it. I'm sorry. I lost the video. That's okay. 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 So we got a lot of video. I'm going to, I'm going to donate it. And that felt really good at the moment because it was getting that negative energy out. I was going to do something productive with it. And so she said, I think that's great. Oh, no. I dropped my phone. Okay. Keep telling your story. I'm listening. I'm just charging Okay. Yes. Keep going. And so then I found a friend who actually knew a youth orchestra that needed cellos because he was a cello player. And, and, and then I found out that my cello had a crack in it and that I couldn't donate a cello with a crack in it. It's a metaphor. And yeah. Yes. Okay. It had a crack in it. Yeah. And then he also knew the same guy who knew the, the, um, the orchestra to donate it to knew the best cello crack repairman in New York City. So... I had everything. Everything yeah. was handed to me. I all I had to do was take it to the best cello crack repairman in the city, and then get the crack repaired, and then donate it. And I couldn't do it. Oh, really? I couldn't do it. And 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 then I just ignored it. It's like I'm just too busy. I, I'm too busy to go to the cello crack repairman. I can't do that. And one day, a friend mentioned going on vacation to Bordeaux out of the blue. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't do it because. I didn't want to give the cello away. I wanted to keep it. But the only way to keep it was to go back and apologize to Francois for the terrible way that I'd broken up with him when I was 21 years old. Oh, my God. And I hadn't spoken to him for 30 years. 30 years. 30 years. And it still brought up these feelings. Yes. Isn't that wild? Yes. It, and I did, it was buried. I had dragged that cello all over the country with me. Oh, wow. Because I couldn't give it away. And then it became this real story that was exacerbated by that bad breakup that I had. And so I Googled. I, I don't know where he was. I didn't yeah. know whether it was the same place. So I literally Googled piano tuners in Bordeaux. No. I did. Yeah. And then there was nothing in the, like, the, the regular thing. So then I went to images. And I'm scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. And I found a picture of Francois. Oh my God! Did he look cute? He was. Yeah. Okay. He good. looked very cute. Oh Older. Yeah. Very cute. He. It was a very artistic pose in front of a beautiful piano on a classical music stage, and it had um, a recording studio associated with it that had a telephone number. So the next morning, I skyped that telephone number in France, and with my rusty French. French, I said, bonjour, is, est-ce que François est là? Is François there? And the guy says, uh, no. And I said, oh, does François work for you? Because isn't this blah, blah, blah recording studio? And he says, oh, François only works with me when I need a piano tuner. And I said, so that means he knows François. Yeah, and I God. said, oh, well, I'm an old friend from the United States. Um, do you happen to have his telephone number? Because I'm trying to get a hold of him. And he says, um, I, I'm, not, I'm not at the studio. Call me back in 30 minutes. And so I said, fine, thank you so much. And I hung up and I went back to sleep because it was 5 a.m. Because I <gasps> wanted to call at 11. Yeah. And so I called him back in 30 minutes. And he, and he gave me François' cell phone number. Oh my God! And so there I'm sitting there. That's terrifying. At five thirty-one. I'd be so scared. A.M. 
with my old 30-year-old-ago uh, boyfriend's cell phone number. Oh, my gosh. And um, oh, no, I'm not picking up that sound. Okay. Don't worry. And um, before I lose my train of thought, nerve, you, oh, yeah, okay. I dial. I Skype. I'm Skyping. I dial. And I get a answers on the third ring. Hello? Oh, my God. And I said, Francois? And he said something, and I couldn't understand him. I thought, crap, I'm not going to be able to understand him. And I said, Francois? Again, he says, oui. And I said, hi, this is your old friend. This is Wendy in French. I said this. Hi, this is your old friend, Wendy Suzuki from the United States. And he says, hi, bonjour. And I said, well, you don't seem very surprised to hear me. And he said, well, my friend told me that an American woman called, and you're the only American woman that I know, so I thought it must be you. Oh, my God. And so he gave him, obviously, permission to give him my... So he's like, he's expecting my call. Yeah. And I called. And so we caught up. How's your family? Was he married? He had two daughters. He did not say whether he was married. He has two daughters. Um, One's in high school, one's in college. Very proud of them. Blah, blah, blah. Ah. i not married. I have a research lab at New York University. Blah, blah, blah. And at some point, I said, you know, Francois... It's pronounced blah, blah, blah. <laughs> sorry. Okay, sorry. <laughs> anyway, go on. So you said on what? I said, you know, the reason why I'm calling today is that, you know, that, that year in France, it really meant so much to me. It changed me in so many different ways. And you were such a huge part of that. And I realized that the breakup that we had was terrible. And I never thanked you um, explicitly and genuinely for all that that year meant to me. And so I'm calling to tell you thank you so much. And he was quiet for a couple of beats, and all he said was, thank you, merci, uh, that he said the breakup was really hard for him, too, that, I mean, we we did both at first thought we were going to really continue on yeah. for who knows how long, how who knows how long a 21-year-old thinks they're going to go on for, and um, he said he was so happy that I, you know, called him back, and um, that, that, We've been in touch ever since. You are? Yes. You have been? Yeah, we have been. And in fact, I went to go see him. You did? Because my first book was bought and published in France. And they flew me to Paris to do the book opening there. It became a bestseller in France. Oh, my God. And so as part of that, of course, I took uh, a weekend to stay in Bordeaux. Oh, my God. And we went out to dinner. And he gave me a tour of Bordeaux and showed me how beautiful it has become. And... um he was as kind and funny and sweet uh, as I remembered him. And um, yeah, that was a beautiful reunion but you after have, 30 years. But you have no regrets. I have no regrets. You chose the right path. I did. And are you so proud of yourself and happy about that? I'm proud of myself and happy. But every time I tell that story, they say, and did you marry him? Yeah, did you that? marry him? Did you have sex? Did you make out at least? What happened? I just didn't want to know if I should go there. But yeah, t- what happened? Um, you guys got married. We No, we okay. didn't get married. Yeah. We, 
you know, it felt like an old friend. Just an old friend. That we were very happy to be connected again. It wasn't romantic. It was very just, I, I remember you. Yeah. Like this happened and it mattered. Yes. And now there's like a resolution or some kind of closure. Or yeah. Some kind of cozy, not even closure because... Now you're still connected. Yeah. It's a nice thing. Yeah. Yeah. People so have an effect on each other. We did. And so Memory's First Kiss, this one woman show that I did, was um, bookended by the start of that story as a junior in college. And then it ended with um, my phone call to Francois. After, and After the life you've chosen. Yeah. yeah uh, it, it just closure of... This wonderful experience and interlude, and knowing that it just felt icky that that the last time I spoke to him, I we both hung up with anger. Yeah. Um, and so now we we're friends. Oh my God! Time can make everything better and nicer, yeah. and having I don't know distance on things, and yeah. you know I don't know getting more mature and growing up, it's like, yeah. Yeah. And that's, well, that's a beautiful story. Thank you. It's kind of a nice, that might be a nice place to, to end the, to land the plane. To land the plane. To land this podcast plane. But, uh, but before I do, I want to, I want to ask you, like, where can we find you? Where can my listeners find you? Ah. Who now obviously become fascinated and obsessed with you after <laughs> listening to all these stories and and hearing how what a powerful badass you are. Uh, Instagram. Where, where, where do you frequent the most on social media? Or uh, social media is Facebook for me. Um, um, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter, but the best way to get the most videos, and I did a podcast. A TED Talk? We didn't even talk. talk. A TED Talk. Haven't you done two TED Talks? I've actually done um, my TED Talk, the most recent TED Talk, which is a TED Women Talk, was the number two TED Women Talk of TED Talk, number two TED Talk of all of 2018. I've done four other TEDx Talks before that. Oh, my God. So I'm seasoned TED speaker. You are a seasoned TED speaker. What? Yeah. How, uh, I, I mean, I'm obsessed with TED Talks. Yeah. And your TED Talks are incredible. Thank you. And how does that come about? You get an email and all of a sudden it's like, oh my God, they've reached out to me. And you're like freaking out. Well, so um, the first time you have to get in the system. What? Um, so the first time I got my invitation to my first TEDx event, it was TEDx Orlando. They did a fantastic job. And it was because my friend, Julie Burstein, uh, was asked to speak at their event. But she was angling to speak at Big Ted, like the the um, um, what's it called, Long Beach Ted, okay. where that's where Al Gore and um, uh, um, Bill Gates they speak there. TEDx is the uh, subsidiaries, and so they don't like you to speak too closely at TEDx if you're going to go to Real Ted. Oh. So she said, I'm going for Real Ted, but my friend, Wendy Suzuki, is a great speaker, so why don't you ask her? So without, they took her recommendation, and so I just got this invitation. Woo! So I go to Orlando. Uh, Julie, who went to go on to give a wonderful talk at TED, um, um, is also a speaker coach, and so she has coached me through all of my TED Talks, oh, including wow. the number two of 2018. And so then I was a TEDx member, and so my talk went up on TEDx. And all the other TEDx, when they're looking for other speakers, they look at other TEDx speakers. And so you have, you have a presence up there. And I got all my other 
TEDx invitations um, I did. NYU TEDx, and they also only found me because I had the other TEDx. I did ACCD here in Pasadena, the art school. Um, that was that was really fun. I did um, uh, Bay Area TEDx, um, and then I did something called CUSP, which is kind of a bigger deal. They want to be the TED of um, of Chicago. Oh, wow. And so they also had a really nice lineup. They did it very well. But then the invitation for TED Women came in. So the top three are TED, TED Women, TED Med. And so I got the TED Women invitation. And so that... Their production is so beautiful. Their, you know, the the video is so great, and oh you know, uh, the speakers that I I met there were just so inspiring. It was amazing. What a life you lead! Oh my, it God. was fun. Yeah, and and we can all find all these TED talks either on YouTube or your website. My website, wendysuzuki.com is the best way to find all the TED Talks, all the other things. Books, books speaking engagements. Speaking engagements, videos. The Wonder of Women video will be up there where I spoke with Julianne Huff uh, just yesterday. That's going up. Once they get it up, I'll put a link to that. Um, yeah, that's the best way. Oh, my goodness. And then uh, and now now what's next? What's the next thing for you? Even just in Los Angeles, what else to do next on the to-do list? Next thing in Los Angeles is... To have really good sushi. Ooh, where are you going? Uh, I'm not sure. Okay. My friends have really good food taste, so they're they're bringing home some really good sushi. Oh, they're bringing it home. Yeah, Ooh, yeah. fancy. Because we have a they have a um, little three year old, and oh, so you they know can't it's be gallivanting. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. fun. But she's great at restaurants too. And then tomorrow I get to go to dance class <gasps> with little three year old Ava. Oh my god. And um, and then I have to fly home tomorrow at noon. And you're going back to New York, which yeah. isn't not too shabby. Not, not too shabby. Too shabby. Not too shabby. Oh my god. Yeah. Well, you are the most inspiring woman ever. I Thank can't believe you. it. And I'm so lucky you, you've sat on my couch. Maybe some of it will rub off on me. Yeah, I'm very sure. excited. And uh, I'm just, thank you for, for doing the, for, thank you for being on my podcast. Thank you. You are an inspiring woman too. I mean, absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, well, we're wrapping it up, guys. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Thank you for listening. Bye.